This is Skywave Audio Theater. Welcome. I'm Norman Gilliland. As we'll hear, California in the 1870s was full of bandits, and one of the most notorious had a grudge against Americans. He also had, at least according to the story we'll be hearing, a slightly different approach to robbing the rich and pocketing the money. You're going to hear Lou Merrill as the daring robber, his accent uh, slipping only occasionally. And you would think that the show produced in California would have plenty of authentic Spanish accents to work with, but such was radio in the 1940s. Your wandering vaquero, Frank Graham, will introduce you to the story of Tiburcio Vasquez in Romance of the Ranchos from November 11th, 1941. The Romance of the Ranchos. Los Angeles, 1870. Bandits terrorize surrounding ranchos. Los Angeles, 1873. Sheriff's posse forms to combat outlaws. Los Angeles, 1874. Authorities close in on Tiburcio Vasquez. Title Insurance and Trust Company of Los Angeles presents The Romance of the Ranchos, an historically accurate dramatization of the colorful events which make up the background of our Southern California of today. Each week, our wandering vaquero, Frank Graham, returns to give us a picture of the exciting California of yesterday. Title Insurance and Trust Company of Los Angeles presents these stories because the authentic early history of Southern California is directly related to the service the company renders to the community. Its work is to examine into and verify the ownership of land to the end that when you buy real estate, you know it's yours. To be able to do this, the company must examine the ownership of the land all the way back to the earliest grants, checking on every transfer of its title and on every recorded instrument and legal proceeding that might affect it. By means of its records, the company is able to do this work far more quickly than you as an individual could, and at vastly less cost to you. And by taking extreme care to do the work accurately and completely, the company is able to ensure to you the validity of the title you acquire. Now, here is our wandering vaquero, Frank Graham, to bring us the story. Buenas noches, senoras y señores. Tonight, our story is concerned with one of the most notorious of the bad men of early California. A man whose name has gone down in the annals of California for the one-man war he conducted against the March of Progress. Here, then, is an exciting chapter in the romance of the ranchos. <laughs> For several years, in the early 1870s, the name of Tiburcio Vasquez was synonymous with villainy in Southern California. Operating from his hideout of Vasquez Rocks in Mint Canyon, he conducted a reign of terror over the countryside, robbing and looting. He was wanted for murder in the North, and his special hatred was for Americans. 
said to have stemmed from an incident in which a gringo stole his sweetheart. It was in the spring of 1874 when, late one evening, a group of men approached the house of an Italian, Alessandro Repetto, on Rancho Repetto, near the present site of Montebello. I hope you know what you're doing, Tiburcio. It is not necessary for you to hope, Chavez. You just do as I tell you, and all will be well. I uh, see, I suppose so, but I don't like it. These clothes, they smell like the sheep. Tonight you are a sheep herder, and you would better be convinced. Or you will answer to me, Tiburcio Vasquez. You know what that means. Uh, caramba, mi jefe, I did not mean anything. I, of course I will do what you say. I just do not like the smell. We better learn to like it pretty quick, eh? See, si, see, si, I feel fine already. <laughs> Good, quiet. Near the hacienda. Nobody say anything, just me. I do the talking, and everybody do as I say. Eh? See, si, see, si, we are with you, Hefe. <laughs> this, senores, is going to be the neatest trick of my career. See, si, very neat. All right, hombre, quiet. Senor Repeto, is it not? See, si, who are you? Oh, but the poor sheep herder, Senor Antonio, they call me. These are my friends, and we go to our sheep at the rancho of Diego Sepulveda. Finding it such a long way, we are unable to make it in one day, and we should like a place to sleep for the night, perhaps in your barn, if it would not trouble you, Senor. Otherwise, we should be obliged to sleep on the ground. Very well, go ahead. But mind you, don't strew hay all over the barn. <laughs> and be on your way in the morning. But si, si, gracias, gracias, senor. Hey, see, what is this? What are we doing? You had ears, didn't you? We are going to spend the night in Senor Repeto's barn. But, but why? What it is... It is not for you to ask questions, Chavez. You seem to forget that more and more lately. I give the orders. You take them. That is all you have to know. Si, si, of course, hey, fee, but I you only... You stupid ox. Did it ever occur to you that banks are not open at night? That we might need fresh horses for an escape? See, si, see, si, that is right. Ah, you have no brain, Chavez. That is why you'll never be anything more than you are. Now tell Isidro to have the horses ready behind the barn at dawn tomorrow. Then you shall see the action you want. <laughs> They are eating their breakfast. Repetto and his helpers. <laughs> quiet, hombres. Remember, you are still sheepers for a few minutes more. Come quiet. See? Si. Oh, it is you. See, si, senor. We have come to thank you for letting us stay. That is all right. You uh, no strewn hay, have you? Oh, but no, senor. We have taken good care that everything shall be orderly. Very well. You'll be on your way. What, senor? You would send us away without food? Oh, that is not true California hospitality. Why, huh? oh, you confounded scoundrel. You expect me to invite you to eat with me? See? Si? Get out of here. You filthy sheep herder. But we are not sheep herders, senor. What? You get the idea, eh? Put up your hand. These little fish that I spoke of me for. And it is so hard to keep under control. I would not tempt it too much. All right, hombre. Inside, get the others. No, no, no. After you, senor. <laughs> but you can't do this, you... Senor, I not only can, I am doing. You do not seem to realize who I am. I... 
I don't know. The Bursio Vasquez can do anything, senor. Vasquez? <laughs> Vasquez. No, you have heard of me, eh? I'm getting to be famous, eh? Well, not half so famous as I will be, senor. All California will know me well, senor, and you are going to help. All right, line up against the wall, all of you. Hey, keep them covered. But, senor Vasquez, I, I have no money here. I, I can give you nothing. Oh. I see. I, what I say is true. I, I never keep money here. I have nothing to give you. I would gladly give you all I have, but I cannot... Oh, I... senor, your generosity overwhelms me, but I do not want all you have. I want only $800. $800? I... But I tell you, I, I haven't that much here. I have nothing, a few pesos. But you see? have money in the Pueblo Bank, see? I see. Very well. That will do as well. In fact, I had expected this. Here is a check you will sign. Uh, but I... Go ahead, senor. How can you get it from the bank? You, <laughs> will not... you shall see, senor. You shall see. Boy, muchacho, come here. You, you mean me, senor? See, si, see, si, see, si, you, muchacho. You can ride a horse fast, see? Si? Si, you know the way to the bank in Los Angeles, si. eh? Are you going there often with Senor Repeto? Ah, <laughs> see, si. with Senor Repeto, but this time you will go without Senor Repeto. Here is the check for the money I want. You will take it to the bank and cash it. You will bring the money back here muy pronto. And, muchacho, if you do not. Senor, he is just the boy. You would not harm him. Harm him? <laughs> Have I said anything about harming him? I like him. See, he's a nice muchacho. Hey, 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 muchacho, come here. What is your name, eh? Pedro, senor. Oh, Pedro. You like senor Repeto, Pedro? See, si, of course. See, si, of course. You would not like to see him uh, dead, eh? Oh, no, senor, no. No, then you will return with the money pronto, and you shall speak to no one. No one, you understand? No one in the Pueblo. You uh, just tell the banker, the uh, senor wants you to get the money, then no more. Huh? See, si, see. Si. Very well, then. Go, hurry. See, si, see, si, I will hurry. Hey, <laughs> you cannot mean... You trust the Quiet, boy to... Chavez, hold your tongue. Si. I have told you it's not for you to question what I do. See, si, Jefe, but I do not like you it. You never get away with this, Vasquez. No? No. We shall see, senor. I think we will. It will not be well for you if we do not, senor. And I should hate to have to harm you. A lot you care about me, Vasquez. You ought to soon kill me. Look at oh, me. Oh, but that is not true, senor. For you are to be big help to me. You mean my eight hundred dollars? See, you should feel honored. You are contributing to California, not to me, senor. That's a novel excuse for your banditry. Oh. <sighs> the next time you use such words, it shall not be a slap in the face, senor. The Bursio Vasquez is no bandit. You and your kind cannot understand that. Then what do you call yourself? I am a Californiano, senor, a real Californiano. My weak-kneed countrymen may bow and scrape to you foreigners, but I do not. I will drive all Americanos and people like you out of California. See, si. that is what your money will do, senor. So, you think you are a one-man revolution? One day soon you shall not laugh, senor, for when I come back from Mexico with my army, you, all of you, will find the laughs choking in your throats. You're mad, Vasquez. You cannot stop progress. Huh? No, you can't beat the Americanos. You shall see, senor. You shall see. Well, son, you're here bright and early. What can I do for you? Senor, Senor Apeto, he, the man wishes me to, to get this money for him. The man? Si. Oh, you have a check. <clears throat> well, let's see it, son. Si, senor. 
Oh, yes, yes. Senor Petra's check for $800. Oh, son, this is a mighty big check for a young fella to be cashing. Where did you get it? He just tell me to get the money and bring it back. Ah, this is <clears throat> kind of irregular. Is Senor Petra ill? Oh, come, come, boy. I can't give you all this money without knowing a little more about this. Oh, you needn't be so frightened, my boy. I'm not going to hurt you. But I must know why Senor Petra sent you to get this much money. Why he didn't come himself. Please, Senor. Don't ask me. Please. I must not tell. I must you... not. You must not. Huh? Sam, call the sheriff. <laughs> Yes, the boy should be back by now. Oh, stop worrying, Chavez. He will come. He had better come where the little pistol is getting nervous, senor. Stop pointing that thing at me, will you, please? I, I don't like it. <laughs> you don't like it, eh? Well, now it's not, not too bad. So inconsiderate of me, eh? <laughs> well, perhaps you will not have to look at it so long, senor. Hey, the signal. Isidro has seen someone coming. Go to the window, look. See. Si. Well, who is it? Caramba, it is the boy. He is riding up now. Well, that is good. You will no doubt be happy to hear that, senor. Now, if he has the money, all right, you shall not have to worry. Please, uh, turn that pistol away. The, the boy shall come. You get what you want. Well, when I do, the pistol goes by. All right, Jose. Bring the boy in. <laughs> A neat trick, eh, Shabby? Now, perhaps you will stop worrying about the orders I give you, eh? Yeah, but I still do not like it. We shall get the money and go, quickly. Yes, si, si, but there's no hurry. Now, muchacho, <laughs> you are a fine boy. Come, you got the money, eh? Si, senor. Here it is. Gracias, mi amigo. Let me look for it. See, <laughs> heavy with gold. Well, what are you looking so frightened for? Your master is quite safe now. Hey, senor, he has been up to something. I can tell. He's the least in this trouble. The boy has brought the sheriff. Hurry. The horses. Come here, you boy. No, senor. No. No. Sabe, stop that. Leave the boy alone. There's no time for that. Go. Oh. Ah, muchacho. Good work. You are a boy after my own heart. Hasta la vista. Hola, diablo. Here they come. But they will never catch us. Away, Listen to that crowd yelling for his head. Yeah. Sheriff, we gotta produce Vasquez and quick. Yeah, he's got him scared with his talk of revolution. Nah, he's getting more audacious every day. He's gotta be stopped. And don't forget, he's wanted for murder up north. Ah, there's a reward of $8,000 for I him. know all that, men. What can I do? Uh, I have to have time. Yeah. But nobody realizes it that half of them people out there are California. That's right, sir. Many of them really sympathize with this Vasquez. Uh -huh. He'll know every word that was said about him out there in an hour. Mm -hmm. I can't make a move that isn't reported to him. Nope. It's almost impossible to organize a defense against him when half the population's against me. But you've got to do something. All right, I know it. Sooner or later, his own men will betray him. I can only hope that it's soon. Five hundred people, you say, huh? Mm -hmm. I'm getting to be quite a drawer of crowds, eh? <laughs> Ay, but, Tiffy, they mean business. Ay, things are getting too hot. 
perhaps you had better take to the hills for a while. Mm. Run from them? No, not Vasquez. Why should I sneak off as though I were afraid of them? I am not afraid of them. I will go when I'm ready and feel like it. And before I go, we shall have a great fiesta. See, at the barn at the mouth of the canyon of the Laurels. We shall have a, a fandango and dance the whole night through. What Vasquez? Chavez, I have warned you. Those are my orders. Very well, Hafey, but I do not like it. Uh, I have a feeling. A feeling that you should go now. Uh, you are playing with danger once too often. <laughs> In the files of the Title Insurance and Trust Company of Los Angeles are 1,600 large volumes called lot books. These are, in effect, an index of every deed, mortgage, decree, or other important uh, proceeding shown by public records to affect any one of the million and a half separate parcels of real estate in Los Angeles County. But matters affecting land ownership consist of more than these recordings relating to particular properties. For example, while a deed may convey a lot, the legal bankruptcy of its owner would be just as effectual in transferring its ownership. Many other matters that relate to persons rather than to individual pieces of property also affect land ownership. Among them are judgments, powers of attorney, insanity commitments, guardianships and probate proceedings, divorce actions and property settlements. And so in a different set of books called the General Index, Title Insurance and Trust Company of Los Angeles lists these personal matters. They are indexed by names of people, rather than by particular properties. I will tell you why the general index is probably the most interesting part of the company's title plant later in the program. But now, back to Frank Graham and the rest of our story. As the sheriff and his men continued a vain search for Tiburcio Vasquez, the bandit was spending his last night before leaving for Mexico in a wild fiesta at the barn near the mouth of Laurel Canyon. All of the gang were there with their sweethearts. Long into the night, the merrymaking went on. Hey, hey, Tom, it is getting late. Hey, it's time to go. Chavez, you old long-faced, the party has just begun. Come, stop looking so sour and join in the fun. But, Vasquez, we must leave before dawn. And we need rest. We have a hard trip. Ah, we will have a rest. When the fiesta is over, we'll go to the house of Greek George. And there we shall sleep until dawn. But not until the fiesta is over. But, hey... Chavez, those are my orders. If you do not wish to obey them, you do not have to. Lately, you are becoming less useful to me anyway. You frighten too easily. Uh, but, hey, if I did not mean anything. All right, then stop sniveling over leaving. Come on, join the party. Pick yourself a pretty girl. Get a bottle. <laughs> Take a lesson from me, amigo. Quick, George. You see how he dances? Hola, George. Where did you learn to dance like that? Driving the cameras? Well, what do you mean, Vasquez? You make joke about my dancing? <laughs> I'm a good dancer, no? <laughs> no, you look like a great donkey trying to die. Uh, senor, I do not like for you to make a joke. Uh -huh. Such a hulking brute as you does not deserve to hold such beauty in his arms. <laughs> ah, senorita, why have we not met before? I eh? do not know, senor. Perhaps because you have no eyes in your head. <laughs> so, I like senorita with sharp tongue. It makes the game of taming them much more interesting. You think you can tame me, senor? You think I cannot, my little dog? I'm sorry. There, you, Varsius. She's my girl. You keep your hands 
<laughs> to imagine that such beauty should look a second time at that hideous face of yours, mi amigo. You can forget such thoughts now that she has met me. Stop it. You stay away from her. She's my girl. Oh, wait, donkey. Stop braying. The senorita and I are going to dance, eh? I have not said yes, yes. But you will. Because nobody says no to Vasquez. Vasquez, I warn you, leave her alone. Get out, you swine. Hombre, tell me where. Why, you... Stop, let go of me. (laughs) Away with the donkey. Let go, I kill him, I tell you, I kill him. Well, you certainly have a way with you. I get what I want, always. Now, senorita, shall we dance? Well, senor, you always get what you want, Let go of me, Sharpus. Let go of me. See, si, see, si. there now. Just calm down, mi amigo. You're wasting your anger on him. Yeah, I kill him, so help me, Alar. I kill him. I know you won't, yours. You'll be dead before you draw a gun. It would be a pleasure for to die if I could get him too. Ah, there's no chance of that. You'd better forget it. Forget it? You don't know me. Sooner or later. Uh, I have a better idea. Perhaps I wouldn't have to kill him. Hey, hey, what are you talking about? Nothing. Never mind. Senor, where are you going? I'll be right back, senor. You mean you really know where Vasquez is? Sure. I told his own men to give him up sooner or later. I was right. Greek George told us the whole thing. We're having a fandango at Oral Canyon tonight. He'll come down to sleep at Greek George's house. We'll get him there. Good. Not last. When do we start? You'll start right away. I'm not going. Huh? Why not? You know why not. I'd give my right arm to go. But every move I make is watched. He'd be warned in no time. So you'll take charge of the party. There'll be eight of you. You're to assemble one by one at the livery stable. Guns and ammunition are there ready for you. Take a winding route. But get to Greek George's by dawn. Good luck. Mitchell, Smith, Rogers, Beard. All right, men. This time we're going to get him. Let's go. Oh, oh. That's Greek George's down there. From here on, we'll have to go carefully, men. Yeah, we're none too early. It's getting light. What's that? Yeah, it looks like a wagon coming down the trail. Back in the shadows, men. We'll stop them. Stop! Stop them! All right. All right. Just a couple of Mexicans from the rancho down there. Let them alone. But we'll come into the wagon. It's just the thing we need. What do you mean, Alma? I'll drive her. You and the others get in the back and lie down at the site. We can drive right up the Greek Georges without them suspecting a thing. Come on, let's go. Hey, Fe! Vasquez! Hey, yeah, yeah, what you want? Hey, you must hurry. Already it is light. We should have been gone long ago. Yes, yeah, yeah, in a minute. First, I must have my breakfast. Fire breakfast. I tell you, we must hurry. I do not like this. We should never have come here. Why not, sour face? Hey, where is Greek George? Why is he not here? How should I know? Uh, but he hasn't come back after he left last night. And he was very angry at you. 
He talked about killing you, and then, then he said very funny things. I couldn't make him out. But he is not back, and I am worried. I probably got drunk because I took his girl. <laughs> oh, he can't have her. I do not care much for her. See, but, Happy, this might be serious. He is loco. Ah, we should be gone. After I eat my breakfast. What, Happy? Chavez, after I eat my breakfast, Save. See, si, see, si, I go fix the horse. I will. What is that? Hmm, sound like wagon approaching. Look through the window, you can see. See, maybe it is. But... <laughs> Don't be such a fool, Chavez. Anyone can see it's just a man driving an old wagon. Maybe from neighborhood rancho, huh? Stop worrying, go fix the horses. See, but hurry, Hafey. All right, Jose, ready with the horses. We're leaving in a minute. Hey, you sent the others on ahead? See, Chavez. Winner. Hey, what is that? Look, look, man, they're surrounding the house. Hey, look, there's muskets coming out the window. Hefe! Hefe, run, 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 Hefe! Run under there! Ah, they shot him. Muskets is falling. They shot him. See, it is too late. Ah. Right, Jose, right. Hey, away. Vasquez. Oh, Senor Repeto, you have come to see me. See, si. I have come to tell you that as for our little account, you can settle it with God. Oh, no, no, Senor. I intend to repay you now that my plans have gone astray. I do not expect that. But I beg of you, if you ever resume operations, never visit me again. Senor, I am Caballero, the Caballero's heart. One sorry Caballero you are not, Senor. Here behind bars. See? I am in quite a fix, eh, Senor? Why did you do it? Well, nobody seems to understand that. Maybe I am hot-blooded, no, lose my temper too much, but I am a Californiano, Senor. I love my California. I, I, I see the Americanos come and, and take what is ours, change it to something that is not ours. Well, maybe that is for the best, I cannot say, but I cannot like it. I cannot stand by and see it without putting up a fight. I'm sorry you've made a mistake, Vasquez. If you had to work with the Americanos, you could have done much for California. See, si, si, perhaps that I cannot say. But perhaps you people remember that I love California. They will not think so badly of me, eh? Maybe not, senor. For the sake of your memory, I hope not. No. Oh, you must go? Si. Oh, but wait. Wait, come here, senor. <laughs> senor Repeto, here is gold watch. I, <laughs> see, I take it from Americano engineer. Uh, you find his name on the back. Si. Please, senor, please, you give it back to him. Maybe he can make it work. I, I cannot. And besides, senor, where I will be, I... I do not think I will need a watch, eh? Do not like to hear you say that. Oh, well. See, senor, I, I will give it to you. Gracias, senor. No. Hasta vista. No. No, no, senor, not hasta la vista. <laughs> Adios. You know, senor, I think this is one time when Vasquez will not have his own way. And Tiburcio Vasquez was right. 
At last, his career of crime was finished. He was taken to San Jose, tried for murder, and hanged. Thus ended a vivid, stormy chapter in the story of early California, a chapter rich in the romance of the ranchos. Frank Graham will have a great story for you next week. He'll tell you a little about it in just a moment. A few minutes ago, I told you how Title Insurance and Trust Company maintains a general index in which are listed matters which may affect land ownership, but relating to persons rather than to individual pieces of property. In that index at present are the names of more than a million and a half persons. Many of these people do not own any real estate and perhaps never will. But in case they ever do, certain things that have happened to them may affect the title to land acquired by them, and so the company must keep this mass of information posted in its general index. Much of the personal history of people is reflected in the entries under the names in the index. Hence, there is a fascination in the tracing of land titles through the past if the examiner visualizes the human stories behind the facts. For example, the life of Pio Pico, last Mexican governor of California, is reflected in 25 entries in the general index since 1850. The earlier ones show him actively conveying and mortgaging valuable lands and giving powers of attorney. Later, the fading of his fortunes is seen in an action to restrain a foreclosure of sale of property he had borrowed money on. The last posting in 1895 reveals his death and the probate of his estate. And now, Frank, what's the story for next week? Next week, we'll tell you the story of Rancho San Vicente y Santa Monica and the Boca de Santa Monica and of the lifelong fight that a gallant California put up for his land. You won't want to miss it. And so, until then, this is your wandering vaquero, Frank Graham, saying, Hasta la vista, señoras y señores. Romance of the Ranchos, a presentation of the Title Insurance and Trust Company of Los Angeles, featuring Frank Graham as the wandering vaquero, is dramatized by John Dunkel and produced by Ted Bliss, with special arrangements by Irwin Yo. Bob Lamont speaking. This is the Columbia Broadcasting System. That was Lou Merrill as Tiburcio Vasquez, an outlaw who knew how to handle his enemies until he turned a friend into an enemy. That was Romance of the Ranchos from November 11, 1941. Twelve years later, Lou Merrill would take to the air as Thomas Highland, the wry storyteller of crime classics. And speaking of wry, next it's the report on the Wiggins from the CBS Radio Workshop here on Skywave Audio Theater. Novelist Robert Nathan wrote the 1940 time-slip classic Portrait of Jenny, which was the basis of the 1948 movie starring Joseph Cotton and Jennifer Jones, and both Academy Award and Lux Radio Theater did adaptations of it. Nathan's fascination with time continued with his report on the Weans, which came out in the November 1956 issue of Harper's as Digging the Weans. And that same month, the CBS Radio Workshop produced their version of it. Is it satire or science fiction? Well, some of both. This is the CBS Radio Workshop from November 11th, 1956, with Report on the Weans. From Hollywood, 
the CBS Radio Workshop. This is Radio Rhodesia, broadcasting on the Mega, Micro, and Strato beams. We take you now to the Ethnical Museum of Antiquity at Kenya and our correspondent, Dinar Geb. Come in, Dinar Geb. Stand by, please. We are trying to get through. Radio Rhodesia to Dinar Geb in Kenya. Come in, Dinar Geb. CBS Radio presents the CBS Radio Workshop, dedicated to man's imagination, the theater of the mind. Some weeks ago, the workshop presented A Pride of Carrots, in which the novelist, Robert Nathan, described the planet Venus as it might appear to modern man. In the broadcast you are about to hear, Mr. Nathan describes our culture as it might appear to the men of 6,000 years from now. Based upon the story in the current issue of Harper's Magazine, here is Mr. Nathan's report on the Weans. This is Dinar Geb speaking from the Great Hall of the Ethnical Museum of Antiquity at Kenya. If my voice sounds a little strange to you, it's because I've become infected with the excitement of the scholars gathered here to receive the reports from the field expeditions on the Great West Continent. As you know, as part of the worldwide celebration of this astrophysical year of 7956 A.D., Teams of archaeologists have been working for months in the tumuli, or city mounds, of the uninhabited continent. Our staff correspondents are with them now, at the tumulus of Enyok, at Shaago, at Loose Angles, and at Pound Laundry. In just a moment, you'll hear them in person. But first, standing beside me at this microphone is Sra Bahan Bolek, Chancellor of Education and Curator of the Museum. Sra Bolek? Would you care to give our listeners some hint as to what discoveries may be announced today? No, Sir Geb, that would be cheating. Yes, I suppose it would. But I will say this. I believe we all agree that we have come to a great distance in understanding the Weans since the first artifacts were dug up in the city mound of Boxton, or as some prefer to pronounce it, Boston, nearly 200 years ago. They're the ones in this case, are they not? That's right. An ivory cross attached to some beads and a rusted iron wheel, apparently designed to run along some kind of track. But alas, scarcely enough upon which to postulate a culture or project a civilization. And so, for more than a century, the great West Continent has kept its secret. But during that time, other discoveries were made, were they not? Oh, yes. From time to time, hunters, prospectors, and other adventurers returned from that deserted and forbidding land with fragments of scrolls but they were completely meaningless hieroglyphs until the discovery, some years ago, of the talking disk of Orleans. Orleans. That's the city mound at the extreme south of the Great West Continent, isn't it? Exactly. At the mouth of the immensely wide, dry river, the Misses. It was there, in the winter of 7940, that an expedition under my esteemed colleague, Han Shui, discovered the disk in an astonishing state of preservation. Since the disk of Orleans gave us our first indication of the identity of the people of we, I thought perhaps it would not be inappropriate to hear it now. An excellent idea. Is that the original you have there? Oh, my, no. This is a copy, a transcription of it. The original is never removed from the vaults of the museum, but it is a faithful copy. 
Listen. Now, Wayans knows, and Vans knows too, down deep in Vans' hearts, that Wayans ain't gonna let Vans tell us how to run things down here. We all can manage Usson's own affairs, and no damn Yankee from the North is gonna tell us nothing. Well, that's mighty interesting, Shrabolik. Mighty interesting. But what does it mean? Well, its actual meaning is obscure. But don't you realize that this human voice speaking to us from 6,000 years ago has uttered the sound of every letter symbol in all the glyphs and scrolls we have discovered? We know now, thanks to the great deductive scholarship of Sra Han Shui, that these people who so often inscribed their scrolls with the letters U-S-A, referred to themselves as Weans. We did not know how to pronounce U-S-A prior to the discovery of the Disc of Orleans. Now we know that U-Sans is incorrect, and the symbols U-S-A are properly pronounced Weans. Well, thank you, Sra Bolek. I believe Sra Han Shui is at the city mound of Chicago right now with our Radio Rhodesia reporter, Hule Benneker. Take it away, Hule. Thank you, Dinar Geb. This is Hule Benneker at the Chargo Excavation. And here is the distinguished professor and dean of the Advanced School of Primitive Languages of Kenya University, Srahan Shui. <coughs> Greetings to my colleagues in the field as well as back home. This is indeed a great and proud day for me. I have found another disc. Just as the talking disc of Olin's gave us the secret of the Wean's language, I believe the singing disc of Shaago may indicate what the music of the Wean's was. There seems to be an inscription on the disc, Shrashui. What does it say? It is somewhat unclear. The nearest I can make out, it says, Blue Sweshu by Avis Paisley. Sold a million copies. What does it mean? I haven't the slightest idea, but let's listen to the music. Put it to one for the money, two for the show. Put me to get ready now, go, can't go, but don't do. Step on my blue switch. That's music? Primitive, isn't it? Most rudimentary. Yes, but I'd hardly call it music. Hello, Hanshui. Hello, Frenchui. Can you hear me? Yes, who is it? Von Bullock at Kenya. Congratulations on your find. Oh, thank you, my old friend. But I'm afraid you're mistaken. I'm mistaken? Yes. That's not music. That's a religious ceremony. What? Yes. You have misread the inscription. It is not Avis Paisley. It must be Ephus Fresley. Fresley? Yes. Don't you remember my translation of the Enyok scroll regarding a great religious festival? I quote, And Fresley threw his head back and commenced, and did cause them by rock and roll to give out cries and screams loudly in the aisles and corridors, all in syncope. Unquote. Uh, you are right as always, Rabolek. I had thought it was music. I doubt if the Weans had any music. But your find is more important, for it proves they had a religion. And now, after that unscheduled but exceedingly interesting interchange between two longtime friends and associates, we continue our report on the Wiens from the far edge of the continent. Our next pickup is from Loose Angles, or as some translators prefer, Loose Ankles, at the edge of the Great Western Ocean. We take you there now. 
The next voice you will hear will be of our staff correspondent, Yash Ertebi. Thank you, Hule Benneke and Chicago. This is Yush Ertebi speaking to you from the excavations near the bleak brown hills of Los Angeles. And here beside me is the head of this particular expedition and the only woman scientist participating, Sres Besnev, the brilliant dean of advanced femininity at the University of Zagora. Hello there. I was most interested in the comments Sarah Bahan Borlek just made upon the religious significance of the find at the Chicago dig. Because out here, we too have come upon objects which have, for the first time, led us to believe that the Weans did indeed have a primitive religion. You are referring to the golden idols? Precisely. Repeatedly, in the kitchen middens of smaller communities surrounding loose angles, we have dug up these small gilded statues cast away among the pottery sherds and other refuse. The presence of so many of the golden fetishes indicates beyond a shadow of a doubt the existence of a considerable cult of... Oscar, as our translation of certain scrolls prove the god's name to be. So for several months we've been searching for the temple of this god, particularly in this area of holy wood, which by its very name indicates that it was once a place of veneration and worship. I believe I can safely report to you today that we have unearthed the temple of Oscar. It is not large as temples go, but it is distinguished from all the others in archaeological history in one important respect. You see, one expects to read the record of vanished races on the walls or frescoed ceilings of ancient temples. Here the record has been placed on the floor. The court is laid out in squares, and in each square are the imprints of feet and hands and words. What do they signify? <laughs> My specialty is archaeology, not hieroglyphs. But my guess is that they were incantations to the god Oscar. The footprints were perhaps those of his priests, or perhaps sacrificial victims. Can you translate any of them? <laughs> well, I can try. Uh, here's one that says, Gloria Swan Song. Utter gibberish. Look at this one. There's the imprint of what looks like spectacles. Yes, that one says, Har Old Yoid. And there's one which looks like a, a large human nose. Jim, me, dur, and e. Hmm. Wouldn't that appear to indicate that these were sacrifices rather than priests? Oh, quite possibly. Certainly some of them at least appear to have been put through a humiliating ordeal to prove their devotion to this ancient god, Oscar. Thank you, Sres Beznev. And now this is Yush Ertebi returning you to Dinargeb in Kenya. Back once more at the Great Hall of Kenya Museum. Shra Bullock has been joined by his colleague Shra Hap Bukong of the Libya Academy of Geophysical Sciences. Well, Shra's, what do you think of the field reports so far? Splendid, splendid. They substantiate my theory that the Weans had at least a semblance of culture. Shra Bullock, to me, your theory is as unconvincing as your translation of the name of the Wean capital. Pound laundry, indeed. Well, how else would you translate it? The glyph for washing means laundry, and the Wean glyph ton stands for a unit of weight, hence pound. Pound laundry. You couldn't say washing ton. It wouldn't make any sense. Though I must confess, we have never learned what was washed at pound laundry. Uh, yes, well, Sraz, this is most interesting. 
But I'm informed that the expedition at the Enyok site is ready to make its report. So we take you now to the city mound of Enyok and our Radio Rhodesia correspondent, Cowley D. Cowley D speaking from the Enyok dig, a hundred feet below the surface. And believe me, Sraws and Tresses, in just a moment, you may be witnessing a great historic occasion. But here's the head of the Enyok expedition, Sra Obergerst Levy, to tell you about it himself. Thank you, Cowley D. We have been digging downward along this gallery for nearly a week, and at last we have arrived at a sealed door which may well be the entrance to a tomb. Above it is a glyph which translates phonetically as May Seize Bargain Basement. Seems to be meaningless. Nevertheless, we shall break through this door now and attempt to describe to you what, if anything, we find beyond. You may begin, men. Easy there, easy. But what's that? I don't know, Sralevi. As soon as the glass door was broken, a, a warning, perhaps. It's frightening. Oh, nonsense. I remember reading about what happened to the men who violated the tombs of the Egyptian pharaohs. Do you really think these weans can reach out across 6,000 years and harm us? Uh, no, Sra, not really, but still one wonders. Proceed with the opening. Yes, Sra. Uh, Sra Levy. What do you think you may find here? I have no idea. Throw a light down there. Well. Oh, what is it, Sralevi? We shall see. Come. Oh. Yes. Yes, it is indeed a tomb. A tomb? Yes. Look. Will you look? On these racks here. Garments, strange ancient garments, coats of fur, cabalistic symbols. One, nine, eight, reduced from two, two, five. Yes, and over there, tiny effigies, tiny wagons. And here, bowls and cooking pots in perfect condition. There appear to be more chambers beyond. Is there any indication of sarcophagi or... Mummies. None so far, Sra. Mummies? Oh, yes, yes. You will recall that it was the custom of many ancient people to bury their kings along with their retinue and their household goods to assure them comfort and companionship in the next world. The Egyptians were most advanced in these matters up until now. Well, I'm afraid I don't follow you completely, Sra Levy, and I'm sure our listeners would like a further explanation. Oh, dear me, dear me. We are on the air, aren't we? I'd quite forgotten. <clears throat> Excuse me, Sraws and stresses. I've been carried away by the amazing significance of this find. We have obviously penetrated the tomb of a great king, pharaoh, president, whichever translation you prefer, of the Weans. A ruler named Maisie. Excuse me, Sra Obergast Levy. You have found the mummy of Maisie? No, but in this next chamber, something most strange. Great eyes. Come. Great eyes? This is indeed a strange and wonderful sight, Sraz and Sresses. We are moving now from the main chamber of the tomb into a side chamber. And, and now our light beams are reflected by rows and rows of gigantic glass eyes, each in its own polished box. Uh, what are they, Sra Obelgerslevy? I don't know. Each of them has a dial with numbers on it. Now, let me see. The dial is numbered from 1 to 13. Of mystic significance, no doubt. Ah, 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 it turns. 
Yes, but nothing happens. True, but we are not we -ins. These strange Cyclopean boxes must have held great significance for them. Uh, see, Sralevi, here on the wall is a glyph. Oh, oh, yes, yes. 1956 model CBS Tel Eviz on. Utterly meaningless. But see the pictograph. A Wien and his she Wien sit before the box. And in the box is the face of another Wien. Yes. Indeed, then they were eyes of some sort. But did the Wiens watch the eye, or did the eye watch the Wiens? Uh, these are questions that only exhaustive research can answer. But, Sra Levy, can you hazard a guess why so many of these eyes have been put in the tomb of the potentate Macy? A guess, yes, but only a guess. He must have been a man so vain that even after death he wished to watch through these eyes what his people were doing. Or... He wished through these eyes that his people could watch him. Who knows? Oh, who indeed. And now, Sra Obelgerst Levy, would you say that the discovery of this tomb of Macy overshadows in importance your unearthing of the great lintel and your translation of its message, which has indicated how the Weans met their end? Indeed I would. We had hoped to broadcast from the site of the temple, but of course we can't be two places at once. No, 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 we can't. But Sra Bahan Bolek back home at the museum, already has my report on the temple's inscription. I'm sure he will be glad to give it. Frankly, I am unwilling to tear myself away from all these ancient splendors. I quite understand, Sir Alevi. So this is Cowley D at the tomb of Macy in Enyok, returning you to the Kenya Museum and Dean Argeb. Thank you, Cowley D and Sra Obelgerst Levy for an exciting remote. And now, Sra Bahan Bolek... I wonder if you'd be good enough to follow Sra Levy's suggestion. Suggestion? Yes, the report on the temple inscription at Enyok. Yes, of course. I must confess, I was so carried away with the magnitude of this newest find, I'd quite forgotten. Well, now for the other great discovery of Sra Obelgerst Levy. We now have definite proof of how the Weans perished. For weeks, Sra Obelgerst Levy has been excavating a great temple not far from where he has now discovered the tomb of May C. Last week, he gave me, in all confidence, the intelligence he has now asked me to divulge. On the lintel of this temple, he has found this fragmentary glyph, which he translates as follows. Snow, nor rain, nor gloom of night, there appointed rounds. That is pretty obscure. Well, Swa Bukong, it is incomplete. Some of the hieroglyphs are missing. Their appointed rounds. What does that mean? Well, first, you must realize, Swa Bukong, that the R and the W are readily interchangeable in both the Hittite and the Hivite languages. You will then admit this may be so in the ancient Wean language. For the sake of argument. Very well, then. Instead of their appointed rounds... The phrase may well mean their pointed wounds, may it not? It might, but what about the rest of it? Well, the word nor can be considered north, and the word gloom could be translated doom, and night, fright. Then what have you got? The tragic story of the end of the Weans. The north snow, the north rain, the north doom of fright... Their pointed wounds. In other words, 
Invaders from the north have annihilated the inhabitants. That sounds pretty glib to me. Not when you remember the talking disc of Orleans. Let me recall those historic and prophetic words to you. We're in the north, but Austin's warned. We're all going to get it. And no damn Yankee from the north is going to tell us nothing. Notice the obvious reference to the enemy. Damn Yankee from the north. Oh, no, there's no question about it. North snow, north rain, doom of fright. Yes, the winds perished by the wounds of the north. But tell me this then, Srabolik. How did they have time to inscribe this account of their annihilation on a great marble temple before they were annihilated? But, but that's the obvious part of it. We know that Enyok was the most populous city in the great west continent. And why? Because at the end, it was bursting with refugees. One by one, the great cities fell to the doom of fright from the north. Chargo, loose angles or ankles, Orleans, Pound Laundry. Enyak, an island bastion, was the last to fall. Knowing the fate of the others, the Weans built this temple and inscribed upon its great lintel their fate so that we, who came later, might understand what happened to them. Yes, yeah. yeah, it sounds reasonable. But there is one more question. What is that? We have read much in their scrolls of a city more important than any of those we have excavated. Milltown? Yes, Milltown. What about Milltown? Our expeditions have searched and searched, but they have found no trace of a city called Milltown. Strange. Exceeding strange. Yes. I dare say... We will never know anything more about the Weans, but we now know enough to evaluate them as a minor culture with a rudimentary religion devoted to a god named Oscar who was worshipped by rocking and rolling. They enjoyed their brief moment in history, established their hegemony in the land of We by killing off the Aborigines. They evidently built their empire such as it was by the sword, and when the sword rusted, they died by another's, even as Egypt and Babylon and Greece and Rome, leaving behind them curious city mounds, a splendid tomb, and no music. Sick, transit, Gloria, Weans. Thank you, Srabahan Bolek. And thanks also to our scientists, archaeologists, commentators, and announcers who have made possible this Report on the Winds, the greatest single event of this astrophysical year of 7956 A.D. This is Dinar Geb speaking to you from the Great Hall of the Ethnical Museum of Antiquity at Kenya, returning you to the main studios of Radio Rhodesia. <laughs> CBS Radio Workshop is produced and directed in Hollywood by William N. Robeson. Report on the Weans by Robert Nathan appears in the current issue of Harper's Magazine. The radio version was written by Mr. Robeson and Fran Van Hardisfelt. The scientists and commentators of 6,000 years from now included June Foray, Byron Kane, Dawes Butler, Edgar Barrier, Jay Novello, Joe Kearns, Joe DeSantis, and Hans Conrad. 
Next week, from New York, the CBS Radio Workshop will present The Growth of Our Nation, the story of the development of America told in sound effects. Be with us then, won't you? Every Sunday evening, current events come into sharper focus as prominent Washington personalities are interviewed by a battery of top-flight reporters on the CBS public affairs feature, Face the Nation. Here, Face the Nation, over most of these same stations tonight. Stay tuned for Suspense, which follows immediately over most of these same stations. Looking back 6,000 years of satire of archaeologists and American culture of the 1950s. That was Robert Nathan's Report on the Weans, the CBS radio workshop from November 11, 1956. The scientific study included a big plug for CBS. And instead of channels 1 through 13 on that TV, shouldn't it have been 2 through 13? I think there was no channel 1 on TV. Later on, we're going to have one of the great suspense stories, and right now we're off to the Pacific for Adventure Aboard the Scarlet Queen here on Skywave Audio Theater. For the first 20 episodes of The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen and its travels from San Francisco, Captain Carney and Gallagher sail under instructions from the mysterious Kang, kingpin of a vast Pacific trading empire. And that odyssey leads to a sunken Chinese junk and some uh, collecting with some sharply conflicting motives. From November 13, 1947, this is Kang's Treasure and the Ghost of Tangolan Bay from The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen. entry, the Catch Scarlet Queen, Philip Carney, master. Position 2 degrees 40 minutes north, 125 degrees 37 minutes east. Wind brisk, sky fair. Remarks, departed Sangi Islands after fulfillment of promise. Reason for promise, Kang's treasure and the ghost of Tangulan. It was three days out of Basilan, following the final sailing orders from my employer, Kuji Kang, that we raised the smoking island of Tangulan. It's a volcanic island, eight miles square and uninhabited, rimmed by coral reef, its active crater grumbling intermittently and spewing out thick, gaseous smoke that hangs continually over the vicinity in a thick cloud. Reminded me of Iwo Jima, the most unpleasant island in my world, with its jumbled heaps of black sand and the complete lack of vegetation. But it was this island that had been drawing us like a magnet over thousands of miles of ocean. It was here that the Scarlet Queen would perform the duty she was originally built to perform. It was here that I'd live up to the agreement I'd signed with Kang over a year ago. 
I would at last see the historical $10 million treasure lifted out of the scuttled Chinese junk. I'd see it resting finally in the hold of the Scarlet Queen. We stood around the northern tip of the island and saw the last of the sun as it disappeared behind the pall of smoke. The constant evening gloom that it caused added to the feeling of loneliness. That was all right with me because loneliness was just what we needed at this point. The feeling was fine, but it didn't last long enough. My crewman Nielsen, who was on lookout, broke the spell just as we approached the only reef passage marked on our chart. Hey, the wheel! What do you got, Nielsen? There's a red pole on the reef on the right side of the passage. Gallagher! Yeah, Skipper, I thought we were going to be alone on this blasted so island. How did I take the wheel and hold away from the pass? I'm going forward to have a look. The hull was a lugger, resting at an easy angle on the coral, a little better than halfway through the pass. Her masts broken, her rigging tangled. There was no sign of life on her. With binoculars, I could see a rude camp on the beach beyond. There was no sign of life there either. The figures of four men I saw were sprawled on the sand. And if they were alive, I was sure they'd be on their feet watching us as we came in. And so Mutual continues The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen, written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman, and starring Elliot Lewis. The Scarlet Queen, proudest ship to plow the seas, bound for uncharted adventure. Every week, a complete entry in the log, and every week, a league further in the strange voyage of the Scarlet Queen. and the silent camp on the beach could have meant anything. Tragedy that was coincidence or a setup by Kang's archenemy, Constantino. I left the queen outside the reef with Gallagher in charge. I put our small boat over the side and Nielsen and I rode in through the pass over the quiet water of the lagoon, stepped out onto the white sand. The volcano rumbled now and then. Huge land crabs scudded away from the bodies as we approached the camp told a pretty plain story. Three of the men lay on some black sand that had been scraped into a couch. The fourth lay a few feet away. Beside him was a medical kit. Just beyond his fingertips was a hypodermic syringe and needle. What do you make of it, Captain? Stay back, Nielsen. Whatever they died of wiped out the whole crew, including the doctor. Maybe there's a plague. Looks huh? like it. There was something about this whole island that rubs me the wrong way. I know what you mean. Come on, let's get back to the ship. An hour later, we'd run the passage into the lagoon and crept along the inside edge of the reef for 200 yards to the unmistakable formation of coral that was our last landmark. We dropped the hook. We performed a maneuver that was the culmination of all the other maneuvers on the voyage of the Scarlet Queen. We drifted back, letting out anchor cable until we reached a spot which, if the chart was correct and no one had beaten us to it, was directly over the hull that guarded Kang's treasure in the lightless, smoke-shadowed water ten fathoms below. But the feeling of elation was completely foreign to the atmosphere of Tangulan. Gallagher and I stood at the rail, 
feeling the oppressiveness, the uneasiness, as night settled down over us, and the glow from the volcano's crater flickered weirdly on the cloud of smoke above. The atmosphere was bad enough, but Nielsen's hail made it worse. Skipper! Captain Carney! What, Nielsen? There was a light on the island, sir. Where? Yeah. There it is, up there. You see it? Yeah. What do you think it is, sir? Oh, there it's gone. Nielsen, go kill all our lights. Roll out the crew. Tell them to draw for double anchor watches tonight. Yes, sir. That's an odd one, Skipper. What do you make of it? I don't know, Red. Could have been molten lava rolling down from the crater. <laughs> what are you handing me? I never heard of lava blowing uphill like that light did. All right, then. You name it. You find four men dead from the plague on an unpopulated island. So, it must be a ghost. I hope it is, Red. But just in case it isn't, go break out enough rifles to arm the crew, will you? Gallagher and I split the night so that one of us was on deck all the time with two armed crewmen. The shoreside light appeared a few more times, but when the light of morning forced through the smoke cloud, the island was silent and foreboding. But that's all. We had breakfast and turned two on the most important day's work of the voyage. Hold on, Gordon, a hand here. We'll rig the gear in the mainmast to handle both the diving platform and the cargo gear. Nielsen. Yes, sir. You and Crowder fall two with me. We'll break out the diving gear and give the pump a try. Yes, sir. Platform's ready for you, Skipper. Good. Rig me that watertight flood lamp, Red. There's no sun getting down there. I'll need light. It's as good as Rick, Skipper. We stood at the rail and watched the big lamp sink slowly over the side, throwing a hazy green-tinted circle of light out into the clear water. Went down three fathoms, four fathoms, five fathoms, six. Went down seven fathoms, Seven and a half, and I stopped it. Hold it! Steady as it is on the light! Steady as it is! The circle of light had settled over the outline of the junk. It was leaning about 30 degrees to port. It's after half and part of the main house crushed into a crevice in the coral. It's movable spars and rigging swinging uneasily in the current. It's there, Skipper. The whole blasted thing is there! Sure it's there. Get the suit ready. Cola, get the suit on the platform. Crowder, stand by the winch. We're ready to go to work. In ten minutes, I'd gotten into the suit. The platform had lowered me below the surface. And I was left with no sound but the light bubbling of my escape valve and the faint throb of the air being pumped down to me. There was the first grip in the pit of the stomach that comes with adjusting yourself to a new element. Then the awareness of long shapes that darted into the light from the darkness and left again. Desire to look behind you when you can't. Then the platform reached the level on the sunken deck. Hold it, Red. I stepped onto the sharp slant of the slippery deck. The passageway into the main house that held the treasure was blocked by a shoulder of coral. I made my way along its starboard side to a group of three portholes that let enough light in to show me the interior. I stood for a good minute, lost in the sight of what lay just a few feet away from me, lost in the thought of what had led up to this instant and what the four neatly stowed boxes meant in Kang's life, in Gallagher's life, in the crew's lives, and in my life. Skipper! It was the crackle of the intercom circuit in Red's voice that brought me back to the fact that it had to be gotten out of the cabin now that we'd found it. Skipper, what's going on? You're moving. Skipper, you all right? Yeah, Red. 
I'm all right. What the devil are you doing? I'm looking at it, Red. It's here. Well, let's get it started up. I'll really believe it then. It's not as easy as that. The passageway is jammed shut. We can get it out in one load, but we'll have to cut in through the side. Well, you better come up then. We'll get the gear ready. Yeah. And give me plenty of help with my line, Red. This deck doesn't like me. It's spongy with rot. Well, watch your step. Don't let anything happen now. I won't, Red. This is the most cautious few feet I've traveled since the first time I walked it off. I bet you were cute, Skipper. So they tell me, mate. So they tell me. With the excitement of being on the verge of recovery, I don't think any of us took time to think of the night before or the ghost of Tango Land. Or at least no one mentioned it. And when it floated in on us, it was so silent that none of us knew. I'd gotten out of the diving suit and we were grouped on the landed side of the deck putting lines on the wrecking bars and saws and the rest of the cutting gear and we didn't hear it until he pushed his head up over the side to see it and spoke. Who be you? Hey, it's Cops. Hey, put down the gun. I'll call my volcano down on the lot of you. Who are you? I'm poor Sam Brennan. How'd you get here? I hid behind a coconut log. Drifted down on you with the tide. Who be you? Bill Carney, captain of the ship. Was that you on the mountain with the light? Hey, Gonna come aboard, Captain. I have a hunger for Christian food. And I have a word for you. Bring him aboard. Keep your eye on him. Two crewmen reached down, took him by each arm, and hauled him aboard. What came up over the rail did justice to the head that topped it. His hair was shaggy and shoulder length, his face matted with wild beard. His body was gaunt, covered by a collection of wet rags that was part cloth, part skin, part seaweed. No makeup man in costume or anywhere could have done as well for the Ben Gunn character out of Treasure Island. We took him to the galley and opened a tin of hash for him. His wild, slightly vacant eyes flashed and he fell to with a will with his right hand. Held out his left for me to see the nails were raw, heat blackened. What? What be the cause of that, do you reckon? Now, wait a minute. Let's start farther back than that. Where'd you come from? Come from? My island. I've been a copra grower there before my volcano overflowed and burned out my groves and everything else. But I... I've been alone since then. Then being ten years ago. Ten years alone on that island? Ah, uh, there's company enough there is. And the voices at night... And work enough for the fish to catch and tearing for my volcano. Yeah, sure. Now, about your hands. Well, what happened to them? Torture. It was hard, cruel to poor Sam Brennan. They was. Who? Eight of them that come not two days back. Eight? Yeah. Them that run the craft on my reef yonder and laid them poor dead corpses out on the sand. Well, how do you like that? You mean those men didn't die here? Well, they come as they are. Poor dead corpses. Poor Sam Brennan saw them laid out, neat like they are. Then I I stepped into the midst of the living, my arm raised to friendship, and they all fell upon me, hard cruel, forced into my fingers, heated needles, leaving the marks that you see there, see? Pretty rough. Why did they do it, Sam? Yeah, for my wisdom, no less. But I told them little, only that I saw it sail in and saw no more. Yeah, they'll get no talk from poor Sam Brennan with saw cruelty. Saw what sail in, Sam? Yeah, see... The Chinese craft. We're lying over now. There you are, Red. Constantino. How'd they get it, Skipper? How'd they get here before How'd us? How'd they get any place? Uh, I'll tell you. I'll tell you that and more. I've been at the side at night, moving here, moving there, covered by the growls of my volcano. They learned of my island from a servant in Massillon. Sure, sure. 
We've been nicely suckered. That death camp set up so we wouldn't risk infection to look over the island. They sit there and watch us load the stuff on the queen. Then what, Sam? Do you know? Hey, this is what I know. There's a fast power yacht in the lagoon around the island on the far side of the pass. Inside the reef? Hey. Oh, that's great. And the wrecked ship at the reef passage is prepared with dynamite on us so that when you start to leave, a touch of the finger will topple it into the passage and you'll be bottled up here at the mercy of that craft which is armed like a man of war. That I know. That poor Sam Brennan heard himself. Yeah, thanks for the dope, Sam. I take it they have a detonator set up on shore to blow the charge. How many men are with it? There'd be one alone. Rest be on the boat. If I took care of the ones on the boat, could you manage the one ashore? The one? Matched against the knights and my volcano and me? <laughs> oh, we'll manage him. We will. Good. One more thing, Sam. Will you go to the wreck with me before you go ashore? Aye, aye. I, I, but, but I'll go the way you come. Wait a minute, Skipper. That's putting your head right into it, isn't well, it? Well, what else, Red? Well, That'll be bottled up here like fish in a glass tank. Yeah, we, we ought to be able to cut the wires to that dynamite before they get the idea that it's any more than a curiosity trip. They must have expected well, I that. I hope you're right, Skipper. I'll have to take over the diving, Red. You take it. Work as fast as you can. Cut a six-foot hole into that cabin, then it'll all come out in one load. The gear's all ready. Okay, Skipper, I'll do my best. That'll be good enough, Red. And be careful, huh? <laughs> me? You telling me to be careful. <laughs> Red was in the suit and on his way down by the time Sam Brennan dropped over the side and I got myself ready and headed toward the wreck in the small boat. I took with me an explosive detonator rigged for dry cell batteries, a couple of small blocks with well-oiled sheaves and enough strong light line to reach across the hundred yards between shore and the wreck. I boarded it before Sam arrived, climbed down into the cabin and started tearing the place to pieces. The first ten minutes of searching weren't enjoyable, but they weren't as bad as the next twenty when I dropped into the hold and still hadn't found the charge. By that time, I'd been there too long for my visit to look like one of curiosity to anyone. When I did find it seven sticks strong down in the filthy bilge, my heart was pounding and no one could have convinced me that I didn't rip the wires loose a split second before the man at the detonator had decided to push the plunger home. But when I had them harmless in my hands, even the bilge air smelled as sweet as life itself. What be your plan, Captain? All you have to do is go ashore, Sam, with the end of this line. I've got the detonator set so that when the power yacht hits the line just as she enters the reef passage, this wreck we're on will blow up right in their faces. Do you understand, Sam? It has a good sound. My ship is on one side of the passage. They'll approach from the other. The only thing I want to be sure of is that you'll leave enough room on my side so that the Scarlet Queen can squeeze through. It's proper vengeance they get from poor Sam Brennan. That's right. All right, Sam. Get going. <laughs> with the end of the line looped around his tattered waist, he slipped silently into the water with only his head showing behind his log. Started shoreward toward a spot I'd pointed out to him. May have been minutes, but it seemed like hours before he got there. I watched him secure the line to a jutting rock and then disappear. I heaved my line as taut as I could, reeved it through one of the blocks I'd rigged, made it fast to the detonator so that the slightest tug would blow the charge. Then I went back to the queen. You're back all right, Captain. I was sure glad to see you, sir. Thanks, Nielsen. Where's Mr. Gallagher? Oh, he's still submerged. What's the trouble? Well, nothing now, sir. He was on his way up. The cargo's aboard, but the chief's line fouled, and we had trouble getting him out of the cabin of the junk. He was down too long. We didn't want to risk Ben's bringing him up faster than we should. Well, we'll have to speed it up a little, Nielsen. Get on the intercom. Tell him I'm back, and he has to get up as fast as he can. Yes, sir. Caller, stand by the windlass. I'll get the motor started, and we'll inch up on the anchor. Over the hook! Nielsen, where's the diving platform? Hold presence down, sir. We'll have to have more speed. Tell Gallagher to hang on. We'll have to weigh anchor before we get him aboard. Anchor's away, sir. And coming up. 
Anchors away! Where's the platform, Nielsen? Two and a half past them, sir. Have to forget pressure and everything else and get them aboard. Tell them that. Tell them the powerboat expected is in sight about a thousand yards off our bow. It was natural that it should show. We'd used too much time. Time enough for anyone to realize that something was wrong and decide to find out what. Anchors in sight, sir! Nielsen! Platform's in sight, sir! So I stood there with my hand on the throttle, not able to open it, and watched the Constantino boat push its sleek bow around a point of land. She was moving slowly, still only inquisitive, still unable to see what was going on on our decks. Anchor is up, sir! Secure the anchor! It's clear in the water, sir! The platform's clear! I waited another 30 precious seconds till Gallagher had been swung inboard. Then I opened the throttle. Our wake churned, and as we picked up speed, the Scarlet Queen built a bow wave that curled and gleamed milkily in the gloom. That bow wave was like a starter's gun to the power craft. She built a bigger one of her own as her throttle was open, and she picked up speed that made our pace look like that of a canal scow. I didn't have time for any kind of caution. When we covered half the distance to the pass, I swung toward the island, blind to the reefs or channels or depth, knowing only that I needed that swing to make the narrow lane between the reef and the trip cord that would blow the booby trap in the wreck. By the time I'd made the turn and straightened out for the run, the powerboat had closed to within less than a hundred yards of us. And the men aboard her opened up to stop us with every means they had. Take cover, men! Get down on the deck! Come after the cockpit, Brent! Stand by to take the wheel in case I catch one of these things! Come on, skipper! I crouched as low as I could and watched a series of bullet holes appear in the deck in front of me. And felt the splinters as another burst caught the mizzen boom above me. Can we do it, skipper? I'll know in a minute, Red. We got 25 yards to go. They got about 60. You're awful close to the reef, Skipper. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The reef, Captain! They're going to sweep the reef! I eased a scant foot or two towards the line in the middle of the channel. By the time our bow slid by the raging coral, the powerboat was no more than 25 yards astern. Their range was point blank now, but that wasn't what I was worried about. Stepped out into the pass felt the first ocean swell lift our bow. Our stern swung to port in the cart, and I fought it back with hard helm. Then I just hung on and hoped because there was nothing else to do. Kill the motor. We made it, Red. Well, don't just stand there with your mouth open. Hmm? Oh, uh, I, I, sir, I, I, Stand by to make sail! The crewmen took a while to pull their eyes away from the mangled wreck that the sleek power yacht had suddenly turned into. Her superstructure was torn to bits. She was afire and settling by the stern in the reef passage. Then they stumbled to their stations. Stop it, sheep! Make sail! The mainsail climbed into the smoke-dulled sky. The jibs, then the mizzen, and the Scarlet Queen, as though feeling the success herself, and the lifting of strain and tension, kneeled in thanks to her own gods, and leaned before the winds they sent her in answer to her prayer. It's aboard, Skipper. It's aboard, and we're out of there. It's aboard, Red. Well, you don't sound too happy about it. Happy? Red, I don't even believe it. Yeah, I kind of know what you mean, Skipper. After what's led up to it, it don't seem right just to pick it up like 
some bales of rubber or some sacks of rice and put it in the hole. Yeah, that's about it. But poor Sam Brennan can have his island. We're out of there. Yeah, that's a little hard to believe, too. But assuming that we are, where are we back? Back to Hong Kong to sign over the stuff we don't believe to Kang. <laughs> a city, Skipper. Yeah, we've earned a celebration. And I can't think of a better place than Hong Kong. I don't see any reason for waiting till we get there, if you know what I mean. I think I do. <laughs> Drink, Skipper? You do know you're psychic. <laughs> After you, mate. <laughs> After you. Log entry, the catch Scarlet Queen. Miles traveled from San Francisco, 21,308. Wind brisk, sky fair. Carrying full sail. Ship secure for night. Signed, Philip Carney, master. of the Scarlet Queen stars Elliot Lewis as Phil Carney with Ed Max as Gallagher. And tonight featured Bill Johnstone as Sam and William Conrad as Nielsen. Music scored and conducted by Richard Orant. The Scarlet Queen, a command radio production directed by James Burton, is written by Gil Dowd and Bob Tallman. This program came to you from Hollywood. Approaching the end of their assignment from Kang. That was The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen with Kang's Treasure and the Ghosts of Tangolan Bay from November 13, 1947. Captain Carney and crew some 21,308 miles from San Francisco after getting the goods. The Voyage of the Scarlet Queen was the work of Elliot Lewis, a.k.a. Philip Carney. And we're going to be traveling closer to home, but uh, the danger is every bit as great on a country road with suspense, next on Skywave Audio Theater. The premise is simple. Take a detour from your familiar route and save some time. Writer Walter Bazaar came up with a story so effective that suspense produced it four times in the course of four years. Elliot Lewis produced the first broadcast, which starred Cary Grant and Elliot Lewis's wife, Kathy and sooner or later, Jeanette Nolan is going to put in an appearance, too. Come along for a little car trip now. This is Suspense from November 16, 1950, on A Country Road. Autolite and its 96,000 dealers present Suspense. Tonight, Autolite brings you On a Country Road, a suspense play starring Mr. Cary Grant. Relax, David. There's no hurry to get home. Who can relax in this mess of traffic? There must be a wreck or something up ahead. 
this keeps up, we'll get caught in the rain. Yeah, it looks like a big storm building up, too. Hey, remember that shortcut? Which one? Well, the little tarred road that goes across through Center Marches and comes out on the other highway. What we took last summer? Yeah, I'll turn off there and duck this pile up. I'd like to get as far as possible before that storm hits. Why don't you pull out your hand? David, don't get mad. Well, he cut right in front of me, trying to turn into that gas station. Maybe he needed gas. Mm. Oh. Turn on the radio, huh? Now, oh, there. This afternoon issued like warnings to all residents of Long Island to be on the turn lookout for Nellie Goller, a middle-aged woman described as dangerous and insane. She escaped this morning from Rescue Mental Hospital after fatally butchering a doctor, a nurse, and a ward attendant with a meat cleaver. This is the same Nellie Goller who a year ago murdered three persons on a Brooklyn street. This station oh, brought my mother-in-law. description of our regular <laughs> newscast, which well, at least we aren't the only crazy home. people on Long Island. Why did you change it? I don't want to listen anymore. Let's get home quickly, David. I don't like being out here with that woman running loose. Here's the storm. Roll up the windows. In just a moment, Mr. Cary Grant in the first act of On a Country Road. Amazing, Wilcox, amazing. What's so amazing, Senator? Your victory in the election. Uh, my candidate's victory, Senator, the famous Autolite Stay Full Battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Why, everybody voted for the Autolite Stay-Full battery. You had plenty in reserve, Wilcox. Reserve? Why, the Autolite Stay-Full battery has over three times the liquid reserve of batteries without Stay-Full features. Didn't you campaign with fiberglass retaining mats? Sure I did, Senator, because every positive plate of the Autolite Stay-Full battery is protected with a fiberglass retaining mat to prevent shedding and flaking and keep the power-producing materials in place. Why, your candidate is in for life, Wilcox. A uh, longer life, Senator, because the Autolite Stay-Full battery gives 70% longer life, as proved by tests conducted according to SAE minimum life cycle standards. So, friends, get acquainted with the Autolite Stay-Full battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. See your neighborhood Autolite battery dealer now. And remember... You're always right with Autolite. And now, with On a Country Road and the performance of Mr. Cary Grant, Autolite hopes once again to keep you in suspense. they put her to sleep instead of just locking her up where she can escape and kill more people? Hmm? Put who to sleep? That woman they were talking about on the radio. Oh, she can't help what she does. She's sick. Mm. What good does that do the people who get chopped up with a meat cleaver? I don't know. The laws were made before the doctors knew very much about the human mind. I still don't know much. Hmm. Oh, I can see what it is. There's a roadblock up ahead. What's happened? I don't know. Cops all over the road. David, I'll bet they're looking for that crazy woman. Oh, I guess so. Now, hold it a minute. What's up, officer? Uh, just a checkup, folks. Uh, anything in the back seat? Only the blanket and the lunchbox. We went on a picnic. Yes, ma'am. 
Seen any hitchhikers? Nope. Just traffic. Okay. Move right along, please. Are you looking for the crazy woman? Move it along. Let's go. He didn't answer. He's busy. What are you doing? Walruses and motorists on Long Island are warned to be on the alert for the escaped insane woman who is somewhere on the island. She is described as tall, broad-shouldered, gray-haired, and rather heavy. She may still be armed with the cleaver. One hundred men are searching the area, and they're prepared to shoot on sight. Here's another bulletin on the case, which just came in. Just a few minutes ago, the decapitated bodies of an elderly man and woman were found oh, by police shortcut. near Center Marshall. haven't found her yet. This will get us out of that traffic. The bodies of an elderly couple have just been found in their car near Center Marriages on a lonely, tarred road. Police are certain they were killed by Nellie Goller, the insane woman now at large. Residents of the area are warned not to open their doors to strangers. Motorists are cautioned to stay off lonely roads and not to pick up any hitchhikers. All persons are asked to be on the lookout for this woman. Oh, Here is her description again. They haven't again. caught her yet. Better turn that off, darling. I thought you wanted arm. to hear it. Oh, that's enough of it. to be armed right. with the meat, please. This shortcut will save us a lot of time. You turned off the highway. Sure, I told you when I did it. We've come over a mile already. Save us a lot of time. But David, didn't you hear what the radio said about staying off lonely roads? Oh, we only have to go across the other highway. It won't take long. You sure? Of course. We go past Center Marches, then take the left road and come out right by the highway bridge. Center Marches is where she just killed those two people. Oh, no, no, no. What can happen to us while we're driving? Besides, the whole island is full of men looking for this lunatic. They'll catch him. Oh. It's just a storm. Now, come on, quiet down, you jumpy. I guess I'm silly. David. What? The gas gauge says empty. <laughs> There's still a couple of gallons left when it points to empty. How long has it said empty? Don't know. Uh, I'll get gas when we get across to the other highway. David, I'm scared. Relax, honey. Rain and wind always make you nervous as a cat. I wish we'd stayed on the highway. If I'd known you'd act like this, I would have. Well, it's not my fault. It's not mine either. I'm having trouble enough just trying to see through this storm. David, let's not fight. Driving through these burned-out woods in this kind of weather is enough to give anyone the willies. Oh, goodness, it got dark so fast. I can hardly see ahead, even in the headlights. Uh, there's something ahead. Don't stop, David. That's only a sign. David, the crazy woman could be around here. I'm not picking up anyone. I just want to know where I am. Well, don't get out of the car. I'm not. Calm down. Let's see. Santa Marge is that way. Now, we'll take this road. Santa Marge's. This must be the road where she killed those people. <laughs> Jumpy. Turn on the radio. Oh, this is a desolate place. We haven't even passed a house yet. Miles of woods on both sides of us. Oh, so dark we couldn't have seen one if it were there. This rain seems to be getting worse. David, I'm just sure this is the road where that woman killed those two people. Oh, now, stop that, Dorothy. That's why the police had a roadblock by this road. That crazy woman might be any place in these woods. But not necessarily where we are. Oh. David, what's the matter? Oh, that's fine. 
What a place to run out of gas. Oh, no! David, you mean we're stuck here? I'm afraid so, for the time being, anyway. I'm sorry, dear. That crazy woman is in the woods. She'll kill us. She's nowhere near us. David, quick. Turn off your headlights. Why? Did you hear something? David, I don't know. I don't know what I'm scared. I guess I should have got gas. Oh, turn off the headlights, please. Why? She'll see us if you don't. We won't see her if I do. Please, David, turn them off. Oh, now listen, Dorothy. Don't let this silly thing get the better of you. Oh. Oh, just look at the headlights. Poking into darkness and nothing but wet bushes and trees. Rain falling. Please, David. Oh, all right. There, now they're off. You feel better sitting in the dark? Only the thunder and lightning would stop. And this rain. Look, Dorothy, there's no sense sitting here all night. It's only a few minutes past ten o'clock. I'm going to walk up the road a bit. There might be a house or something. You're there. not going to leave me here. I won't let you go. But Dorothy, we can't sit here in the middle of nowhere for the rest of the night. We're safer here than out there. David, she's probably hiding in the woods. She's just waiting for a chance to kill us. Oh, come on, Dorothy. Why should she be right where we run out of gas? Why now? can't she be here? Please stay in the car. All right. Lock the doors from the inside. Why? What is it? Now she can't get in here. She's nowhere near oh, us. Don't be mad at me, David. I'm so scared. Well, if she's out there, she can easily smash the windows. Oh, don't scare me anymore. I know I'm acting silly. I can't help it. Oh, no. Come on. Let me put my arm around you. There. Oh, David. Oh, put your head on my shoulder. Forgive me, David. Go ahead and cry. Go on. It'll make you feel better. Isn't there some popular music? the escaped insane woman who has killed five persons since fleeing from a Long Island mental hospital. Rain and darkness are hampering the search. Over 100 police are combing the wooded area near Center Marriages. It was near there that an elderly couple were butchered on a lonely, tarred road. In making her escape this morning, the mad woman killed a doctor, nurse, and... Let's leave it off for a while, huh? <sighs> so quiet and lonely here. Wish it were morning. Look, Dorothy. I'll run up the road. There might be no, a house. No, no, David, please. David. Listen. Did you hear that? What? I don't hear anything. Listen. There it is. No, I can't. It's a dog. A little dog barking. Oh, David. Well, I... I guess it's only a lost dog, or maybe there's a house nearby. Or the crazy woman. Oh, David! She's out there! Something hit the back of the car! It's her! Is the door locked on your side? Yes. Well, what if she breaks the windows? She's got a cleaver. In that flash of lightning, I saw somebody. Is it the crazy woman? I can't tell. She's lying on the road. Can you see her? Is she still there? Too dark to see. Have to wait for the lightning. 
I saw her. She's getting up now. She'll kill us. She'll kill us. Oh, no. Please. What is she doing? I don't know. She must have been running. She didn't see the car and ran right into it. She's at the window. Right next to you. Oh, my Lord. Look at her. Get away from that window. David, she's trying to get in the car. Look at that face. And her hair. Go away. I'm warning you. I'll shoot. David, she's coming back. Please, don't leave me out here. Please. That woman will kill me. Please. David, Please. take your pipe. Hold it like a gun. It'll look like a gun. Where is it? Where is it? In the club compartment. Here. Here it is. Here. Look. I've got a gun. I'm going to shoot. She's backing away. Keep going. Before I start shooting. David. She's gone. She disappeared. Yeah. We can't get out now. All we can do is sit here all night and wait for help. Can you see her? Where did she go? I don't know. She's out there, though. Probably planning on how to get in this car. David, what are we going to do? She's the one I know. She didn't have a cleaver. She must have dropped it when she ran into the car. Face is all twisted, hair hanging down. And she's back there looking for the cleaver now. She'll kill us. She'll kill us. Dorothy, stop it. She'll kill us. bringing you Mr. Cary Grant with Kathy Lewis and Jeanette Nolan in On a Country Road. Tonight's production in radio's outstanding theater of thrills, Suspense. Say, Wilcox, what was your platform? Why, the Autolite Stay Full Battery, the battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. Go on, Wilcox. Well, we pointed out that the Autolite Stay Full has over three times the liquid reserve of batteries without Stay Full features. Amazing. Ah, but that's not all, Senator, because we pointed out, too, that the Autolite Stay Full gives longer life. Seventy percent longer life, in fact as proved by tests conducted according to SAE minimum life cycle standards. <laughs> then there's fiberglass retaining mats protecting every positive plate to prevent shedding and flaking and to give the Autolite stay full, scintillating superiority. How is your plurality, Wilcox? Sensational, Senator. We got all but one vote. Why, that's positively preposterous. Sure is, Senator, because everybody's heard of the Autolite stay full battery. The battery that needs water only three times a year in normal car use. So see your neighborhood Autolite battery dealer. And remember, you're always right with Autolite. And now, Autolite brings back to our Hollywood soundstage Mr. Cary Grant in Elliot Lewis's production of On a Country Road. A tale well calculated to keep you in suspense.
window. David, she broke the window. Get away from there. Stay out of the car. I'm coming in. I can't stand it. Stay out of the car. I warn you. I've got a gun. You wouldn't shoot me. Go away. You're crazy. We know all about you. I'm not the crazy woman. Believe me. Let me in. Don't do it, David. She's trying to trick us. Listen to me, please. I've been running in this awful storm. My car is stuck in the ditch back there. How far back? I don't know. It seems like miles. I heard about the crazy woman on the radio. I was afraid to stay in the car alone. Let me in. No, David. Go back to your own car. No. It's so dark and so lonely in this storm. I locked the doors, but I was afraid I could see things and hear things in the darkness. I couldn't stand it anymore. I got out and I ran. It's the rain. That's why I look like this. I'm not the crazy woman. Dorothy, maybe she isn't the crazy woman. Maybe she's just scared and exhausted. Let me in. Please, let me in. No, David, no. She's the one I know. This crazy woman had a cleaver. I'm not armed. The three of us will be safer together. Oh, she makes sense to me, Dorothy. We would be safer with one more person. Oh, David, I don't know. Let me in, please. I'm wet to the skin. I'm going to unlock the door, Dorothy. David. Oh. All right. Now, get in. Oh. Make one move and I'll shoot you. Oh, it's... Oh, it's good to sit down. All right. Now, there's a blanket on the floor back there. Try and dry yourself off with it. Oh, the darkness and the rain... There's enough to drive me out of my mind. Well, just take it easy, lady. I ran and ran. All I could hear was feet chasing after me, hunting me. Do you live near here? Farther out, near Restview. I used to live in Brooklyn. Restview is the mental hospital. I know. I'm used to the crazy people. But not a night in a lonely place like this. Not the kind who kill people. You, uh, you live at Restview? No, just near there. David, we can't sit here not knowing. If we could get to a phone. A phone? Why? To call the police. Get some help. No, don't do that. Why not? Why don't you want the police? Oh, I, I do, but you'd be killed. What do you mean? The woman. She'll kill him if he goes away from this car. Oh, there's that dog. You hear it? Somebody's out there. Well, there must be a house up ahead. Maybe it's barking to be let in. No. It senses somebody. There's somebody out there. The crazy woman's creeping around out there. Quick! Let's get away. Look out, David. Let go of me. Huh? What are you trying to do? Start the car. Quick. We'll get away. We're out of gas. Out, out of gas? You don't think we parked here for the fun of it, do you? Oh, such a desolate place to run out of gas. Stop barking. What does it mean? You can't just sit here. We've got to get away. Oh, I'm not a magician, lady. I can't make gasoline out of rain. Oh, you can't stay here the whole night. You no, hear me? Let go of me. There's nothing I can do. Try something, anything. Don't just sit there. She's scaring me, David. Stop her. Cut it out. Cut it out. You'll have us all in hysterics. All right. All right, I'm sorry. Look, I got an idea. Give me your gun. What for? What for? I'll tell you. I want it. Give it to me, David. Listen to me. I'm all right. But I can't sit here all night. I'd go crazy. 
Give me the gun. I'll go. I won't be afraid of the dark, the noises, the feet following me. I'll go. I promise you. But give me the gun. No, now, sit down. Please. I'll go. I promise. I can't stand sitting in the dark like this. Can't you stop her, David? I told you to shut up. <laughs> if you don't, you'll have to get out of the car. Not into the woods again. Oh, you're nice people, aren't you? Or do you want me to leave so you can shoot me? Is that it? We're not going to shoot you. We don't have a gun. It's only a pipe. Earth. A pipe? A smoking pipe? I'm sorry. Then, then you're unarmed. I'm sorry, yes, Dave. Why did you tell me you had a gun? What difference would it make to you whether I'm armed or not? I don't know you. Maybe you two are more dangerous than the crazy woman. I'll tell you what I think. I think you're the crazy woman. The way you grabbed David when you wanted him to start the car. Dorothy, stop it. Don't excite her. Don't excite me? Why? Do you think I'm dangerous? An old woman you took into your car, two of you, and you're afraid of me? I'm not afraid of you. Now sit back in the seat and don't try anything. David, the storm is stopping. Maybe now is the time. The time for what? What are you going to do? You two are up to something. Oh, shut up! My wife meant now is the time to go for help. I did not. I meant now is the time for us to escape. David, can't you see it? She's the one. She'll kill us. You little... Oh, stop it. Sit back in that seat. You haven't got a gun. No, but I've got a knife. David! It's my jackknife. But it's sharp and strong, so don't try any tricks. All right. Threaten me. Watch me while that woman is out there. All you can do is sit and wait for her to make the next move. David, she can kill us like that old man and woman. They must have been on this same road. They were in their car, too. They must have let her in. We'll leave, then. The three of us will walk. We'll, we'll stay close together. We'll be quiet. Anyone hiding in the woods won't hear us. Don't get out of the car, oh, David. Oh, how will we find our way? It's too dark. We'll find our way. Look out there. The road's full of shadows. Get her out of the car, David. She wants to kill us. Kill you. Now look, if you want to go, why don't you leave? We're going to stay here until some help comes. Oh, I'd be helpless alone if I had a gun or something. You're nice. Oh, why doesn't somebody come? Where are the police? I can't stand this. Nobody will come. There's no one in these woods. They're burned out and deserted. Dorothy, come on, please. It was your idea to use this road. He wouldn't listen to me and stop for gas. I couldn't help it. I got lost. Oh, why don't you do something? Not just sit here waiting, waiting. Do something before we're murdered. Are you so helpless? All right. I am going to do something. I'll go for help. That's it. Get help. David. In her hand. I saw it in the moonlight. It glittered. What is it? Your wife is hysterical. She, she was holding it. A long piece of broken glass. Long and pointed. See? She doesn't answer. She's just watching us. What is she waiting for? from the broken window. That's where she got it. So what if I have it? I'm not going to sit here defenseless. She's going to attack Don't us. Don't be silly. It was all right for you to have a knife. Why can't I be armed for whatever may come? 
Give me that broken glass. Give it to you. You think I'm crazy? You couldn't protect us from anything. Oh. David, what are you doing? Why are you climbing over the seat? I'll what are you... I warn you. I'm through letting my wife be terrified. Give me that glass. Stay away from me! Once I left the car, you were going to butcher my wife. With that broken glass. No! No! David! David! I... Give me that glass! You're crazy! Let me alone! Hold her, David. Hold her. Don't let her free. Wrong. Stop my arm. You kill me! Drop that glass! You both gone crazy! Trying to kill me! Like you were going to murder us? No, I wasn't. Don't let her get free. I can't hold her. She's strong. If you have a knife, then I'll have glass. David, David, hold it. Much longer. I'm not crazy. Please believe me. You got my throat. Ah. Joking me. Ah. Your knife. David, your knife. Uh. Ah. David, you... You killed her. David, you killed her. I couldn't help it. I didn't mean it. Covered with blood. She was going to kill us. There's some lights. The car is coming. Help's coming. Hey there, you in the car. Why are you parked here? It's the police. At last. We ran out of gas. The crazy one. What a night to run out of gas. You couldn't have picked a better spot. What with that woman running around loose? Officer, we want to tell you... A farmer up the road called and said his dog's been barking at something. We caught her. Uh, who'd you catch? The crazy woman. She, she's in the back seat, dead. What? Uh, no. No, she's alive. Hurt bad, though. Uh, she was trying to kill us. Well, we'll get her to a hospital. You two had better come with me. We captured that crazy woman a half hour ago. I don't know who this lady is. Suspense. Presented by Autolite. Tonight's star, Mr. Cary Grant. Well, Cart, did your candidate's entire ticket get into office? Yes, sir, Senator. Along with the Autolite Stay Full battery, the voters elected all of the 400 products made by Autolite for cars, trucks, planes, and boats in 28 plants coast to coast. These include complete electrical systems used as original factory equipment on many leading makes of America's finest cars. Generators, coils, distributors, voltage regulators, electric windshield wipers, wire and cable, starting motors, all engineered to fit together perfectly, work together perfectly, because they're a perfect team. So, friends, don't accept electrical parts supposed to be as good. Ask for and insist on Autolite original factory parts at your neighborhood service station, car dealer, garage, or repair shop. Remember, you're always right with Autolite.
Next week on Suspense for your Thanksgiving holiday listening, Mr. Ozzie Nelson and Miss Harriet Hilliard as stars of Going, Going, Gone. And in the weeks to come, you will hear such famous stars as Van Heflin, Alan Ladd, and Cornell Wilde, all appearing in tales well calculated to keep you in... Suspense. Suspense is produced and directed by Elliot Lewis, with music composed by Lucian Morawack and conducted by Lud Gluskin. On a Country Road was written for Suspense by Walter Bazaar. And remember, next week on Suspense, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard in Going, Going, Gone. Stayful batteries, Autolite standard type or resistor type spark plugs, Autolite electrical parts at your neighborhood Autolite dealers. Switch to Autolite. Good night. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Oops. A case of mistaken identity. Will the real madwoman please stand? Your announcer, Joseph Carnes, stepped into the action as a roadblock cop. And the versatile Jeanette Nolan joined Cary Grant and Kathy Lewis for the first broadcast of what became a radio classic on a country road. That was suspense from November 16, 1950. Our travel theme is going to continue with a lot more miles. It's Dimension X with Shanghai next on Skywave Audio Theater. Whether at sea or in space, getting Shanghai'd makes for a great adventure story. Ernest Canoy probably took a page from the 1897 Rudyard Kipling novel Captain's Courageous about the spoiled son of a tycoon who finds himself at the bottom rung of a ship's ladder and outward bound against his will. This is Dimension X from November 12th, 1950 and Shanghai'd. Adventures in Time and Space, transcribed in Future Tense. Dimension X. Can you predict what will come in 100 years? Can you see beyond the known dimensions of time and space into the unknown dimension X? In 1987, Atlantic Spaceport was established on the site of old Fort Devon outside of Boston. And as the ships pushed deeper and deeper into space, the time of voyage increased by geometrical progression it became more and more difficult to persuade able spacemen to sign on for flights which lasted for years, 10 to 15 monotonous years in the cramped focusal of a deep spacer. The bar rooms and one-armed joints in Scully Square in Boston were plastered with recruiting posters for the deep space star runs. Flashy four-color signs with a blue-eyed young man gazing into a star-studded sky. Seek your future in the stars. Jeff, there's your last chance to get out of the wedding. Sure, just send Judith a short note. I can't get away to marry you today. I'm 300 million light years away. <laughs> very funny, very funny. Well, think it over, boy. 
Tomorrow, the shackles of matrimony. But tonight, the stars. The mystery of the galaxy. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you commit matrimony. Oh, come on. We came here to have a little fun. We might as well be at Mother's Musical on Commonwealth Avenue. Oh, please. Ah, the problems of the rich. Hey, Jeff, just where does the coffin fortune come from, hmm? Uh, I guess it started in Nantucket. My great-great-something or other used to be a whaler. A whaler? There she blows! A dead whale or a stove boat? Watch my trusty harpoon! Ouch! Look out with that book! <laughs> Where's the money now? Oh, I don't know. We've got a lot of commercial holdings, mills, import, export outfits, rocket lines, you know. A mere trivia. Hey, why don't we get out of this dump? We could go up to the Copley Plaza. It may be stuffy, but at least the glasses are clean. Well, you're the condemned man. All right, you guys go ahead and get a taxi copter. I'll settle. Uh, meet you out in front. Right. Uh, excuse me. You want something, bud? The check. Okay, okay. Hey, Milton, check. he would be right out. Right. Hello, mate. Huh? Nice night, eh? I, I suppose so. I've been watching you. Celebrate? Sort of. Well, so am I. Just got off a deep space run out to Centaurus. Centaurus? That's a 15-year run, isn't it? Fifteen and three blooming months. How'd you know? You a spaceman? No, not exactly. Hey, barkeep, where's that check? Hang on to your hat, bud. Milton is slow, but he's sure. Fill it up, Charlie. Say... Why don't you join me, mate? Here, Charlie. Uh, no, no, thank you, no. Oh, come on, I won't take off a move. Celebrate whatever it is you're celebrating on me. Come on, pour it, Charlie. Yeah, sure. Well, I guess I might as well. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. <coughs> What's that varnish? <laughs> Charlie's special brand, eh, Charlie? Yes. Hey, look, could you get that... Wait around here. I, I've got to meet my friends. They're oh, waiting outside. Oh, what's your hurry, mate? You've got plenty of time. Sure. Sit down. Take it easy. You don't look so good. I don't feel so good. Well, here now, you sit right here. You'll feel chipper as a blooming grasshopper in a second. got to get outside. In a hurry. Where's the check? Check. Oh. All right. Come on. Get him out the back before his mates turn up. Grab his other leg. Let's go. In a hurry, is he? That's what he thinks. Where he's gone, he's got plenty of time. Oh. All right, mate. Up on your feet. Wakey, wakey, wakey. Let go of me. That's the idea. Rise and shine and greet the dawn. Uh, where am I? What's going on here? Come on now, mate. Up and at him. Wakey, wakey, wakey. Uh, Come on, show a leg, show a leg. Wait a minute. Hey. You were at that bar. Scully Square. Come on now, up to the power room or you'll be in trouble. Power room? What are you talking about? Where am I? Well, that's hard to say exactly. Orphaned about eight hours out of Atlantic Spaceport. Atlantic Spaceport? What kind of a joke is this? If Alan and Peter think this is funny, they... What ship is this? R.S. Michael M. Rafferty. Coffin Line. Coffin Line. Well, that makes it easy. Uh, you've got to put back the port. 
forget your toothbrush, mate. Listen, you run. Take me to the captain or I'll tear you apart. Here, here, here. Let go of my lapel. Get moving. Sure. Sure, mate. I'll take you up to the captain. Captain Lundstrom is just the man you want to see. Martin, what the devil are you doing on the bridge? Get below. Hey, right away, sir, right away. Only this here gentleman asked to see you. Now, that's right, Captain. There's been a mistake made. I'm afraid it was supposed to be a joke. Oh? Yes, you see, I'm going to be married today, and I suppose my friends thought it would be funny to make me miss the ceremony. I'm sure it won't be too much trouble to have you drop me off back at Atlantic. What? Martin, what is this? Oh, it's simple, Captain. He wants you to turn the ship around, that's all. If there's sir. any trouble with your superior, I'm sure I can fix it up. You see, I'm Jeff Coffin. Yes? Well, you don't understand. My father is Cyrus Coffin. He owns this ship. He does, eh? Before I can I... understand you're not believing me, Captain, but I can identify my... Hey, where's my wallet? My, my. Look, Captain, all you have to do is radio back and check. Mr. Black. Remove this man from the bridge. Aye, sir. You heard the captain, Buster. Wait a minute. Let go of me. This is no way to treat a passenger. Passenger? <laughs> Wake up, sonny boy. You're one of the crew. What? Are you crazy? I'm Jeff Coffin. Maybe, but you signed on as a crewman. Now stay at attention. Well, you can't get away with this. And say, sir. Why, you cheap hoodlum. Now listen careful, sonny. You're a spaceman on this ship. And when an officer gives you an order, you're going to jump. I'll have you all busted. Let go of my arms. I guess you need a little lesson in ship's discipline. And you might as well get it now. All right, Mr. Black. Now take him below. All right now, mate. You grab yourself a buffer and you get to work on those deck plates. I can't get away with this. It's kidnapped. Maybe yes, maybe no. Now get this here deck nice and shiny. We might even see about some grub. I'll be back in two hours. And mind you, I want to be able to see my blooming reflection in it. Hey. Hey, you'd better get started. I can't get away with this. The law says once you sign on, you're under absolute orders. I looked it up. But I didn't sign on. I was kidnapped. You won't be able to prove it. Come on, mister, please. I, I didn't get anything to eat today. Give me a break. All right. You run the buffer over it, is that it? Yeah, that's right. Like this. Yeah, okay. You sign on? Yeah. I ran away from home. What? How old are you? 16. I'll be 30 when we get back. What do you mean, 30? We're headed for Mars, aren't we? Only to refuel. We're bound out to Centaurus. But no, we can't, but that's 15 years. Martin! I've got to get back. It's no use. I'm getting married. She'll think I'm dead. Martin! 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 Now, watch up. You want me to call Mr. Black again? He'll give you what for. No, no, listen. Now, listen, I've got to get back. I can't disappear for 15 years. How is that a fact? Look, we stop at Mars, right? Yes, and you'll be below decks under lock and key. Listen. I can make it worth your while if you get me off at Marsport. Jumping ship? Oh, no, that's real naughty, mate. One thousand dollars. Why, what would I tell me poor old mother in Battersea? Two thousand? Five. 
in advance. What do you mean in advance? I'll bet you're the one that rolled me for my wallet. As a way. They don't believe you, young Crawford. Maybe I know better. All right? It's a deal? All right. Look, Mr. Coffin, can you take me with you? I didn't realize what it would be like. I'll, I'll pay my share. I could work it for you or maybe borrow money. I couldn't stand 15 years. I'd go crazy. He'll cost you another thousand, you cheap swindler. Here now, Mr. Coffin. I'm all which stands between you and a lovely pleasure cruise for 15 years. So I'll thank you to treat me with the respect and politeness what a gentleman like myself deserves. <laughs> Listen careful. This here's the cable locker for the grappling anchor. When she lands, this hatch will open and the cables go out. Don't get yourself caught in me, you'll be torn apart. All right, we got that. Are you sure we can get out? You just do what I say. When you drop down, run for the blast pit. Nobody's there for a landing. Lay low until dark. You got that? All right. Uh, don't worry, I'll tell the patrol you help us get away. That'll help you when they catch up with this gang. Well, thank you, sir. Thank you kindly. I've uh, got to get to the station, Agus. Thanks. Thanks, Mr. Morton. There's the landing horn. Yeah. Keep clear that cable, Joey. Here comes the deceleration blast. my ankle. It's all right. There's the blast pit. Come on, get going. Yeah. Come. Yeah, we're all right so far. The ship hides us. the pit. Get down so they can't see you. I don't know how to thank you, Mr. Coffey. I must have been crazy to sign on that ship. That's all right, Joey. What happened? Have a fight at home? Yeah. Wait a minute. Huh? I hear somebody coming. What? Keep still. Maybe we better look. If we stick our heads over the edge, they'll see us sure. Keep down and keep quiet. I hear him too. Well, well, well. Look what we have here. Two little babes in the wood. You two move and I'll shoot you each once in the belly. Martin? You got good eyes. I told you I saw him come this way, Mr. Black. Jumping ship. Why, that's a terrible thing to do. You double-crossing rat. You got paid in advance, didn't you? Then turned us in. I'll see the port police about this. Yeah? We already turned your papers over to the port police as ship jumpers. Papers? I didn't sign any papers. You just don't remember signing them. We got them stamped nice and legal. It's no use, Mr. Coffin. We haven't got a chance. My, my. Jumping ship. Well, don't worry, mate. You'll see your girl again in 15 years. Mr. Black, inform the ship's company that these two men have been found guilty of attempted desertion. Desertion? Well, you kidnapped me, you dirty crook. Don't you talk to Captain Lundstrom that way. I'm sentencing them to 24 hours hull watch. 
Take them away. Morton, take them to the aft lock. Oh, sir. Ship jumping. You didn't have that gun, I'd break you in two. Double-crossing rat. You calm down after 24 hours, hull watch. What's hull watch? Very simple. We put you two in spacesuits and shove you through the airlock on the end of a line. You sit out there and you watch the hull for 24 hours. You can talk to each other on the wireless intercom, but no food and no water. And the heating units in those suits are just a little bit defective. <laughs> Makes it interesting long about the 18th hour. I'll bet. Well, here we are, gentlemen. The airlock. Now you get in here. You've got five minutes to get into suits and we blow you out of the lock. See you in 24 hours, maybe. To our little home. Water. Water. Thirsty? Get, get water. Right here. Yeah. <laughs> Snopping like a bloody animal. Joey, best help. It'll be all Help right. him. Teach your lesson, both of you. Just take my advice and behave yourselves. You've got 15 years to go on this here ship, and you might as well make the best of it. <laughs> Martin, what do you call this mess? Yeah. That's your supper, mate. Food concentrate. Uh, What's the idea? Only two months out and on concentrates already? You complaining, Reed. Yeah, I'm complaining. If Captain Lundstrom's chiseling on the manifest, that's his business. But when he tries to take it out of our hides... You keep quiet or I'll turn you in there, Mr. Black. Concentrate is what you get to eat from here on out. Now shove it in your face and keep quiet. I'll shove it in your face and see how you like it. Look out. Look out. Look out. What's going on in here? Morton, 
What happened? He struck me, that's what. 48 hours, Hull Watch. Huh? What are you all looking at? Get back to your places. Martin, bring that man to the aft airlock. Your time's up. Come on. You, mate, go in and get him. Come on, Joey. Gee, 48 hours out there. Unsnap the helmet. Careful. Get it off. Come on now, hurry up. Bring him to. I can't. What? He's dead. Get him undressed. Hang up that spacesuit. He must have had a heart attack. Heart attack. He's frozen to death. Mr. Black will be fair heartbroken. Red was a first-class jet man. Hurry up with that suit. It's cold in here. It's murder, that's what. Just plain murder. Space code gives a 30-hour limit for punishment. They didn't even have a burial. Just shoved him out of the lock. Well, if the owners knew about this, they'd stop it. Oh, fat lot of good that's going to do us for the next 15 years. Oh, wait a minute. Wait a minute. If we could get the ship back to Mars... Oh, look, that's no good, son. Two weeks after we landed, we'd be hung. That's, right. That's what Space Code says about mutiny. If they catch you in the act, they shoot you down and no question. Well, I'm willing to take the chance. Are we going to let Black and Lundstrom kick us around for 15 years? Well, I'm not. Why don't we take over and head back? Okay. I'm I'm right. Right. Hold on. Hey, quiet, quiet. Quiet. Did I interrupt something, gentlemen? A discussion? Talking about the captain, maybe? <laughs> Well, that's done it, Harry. He's an officer. Who cares? Look, we've got to move now. Joey, get up to the radio room and smash the set before they can get a message out. Right. Pop, you get out. Yes. Tell the engine watch. All right. The rest of us will go up to the bridge. How about this, Rat? Tie him up. Speed counts now. We've got to take over before they know what hit him. Careful. We've got to surprise them. We'll get him cold. Jeff, quiet. Sparks was sending when I got in, but I knocked him out and smashed the set. We're all right? All right, come on. Let's get up to the bridge. Hey, look out. Let's close the hatch. Hey, we're... We're cut off from the bridge. We'll never get through that. He must have found out somehow. The folks on intercom. Black must must have turned it on from the bridge. He must have heard the whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We better get out of here. Yeah. What'll they do? I don't know. They got all the controls up there. We can shut down the drive, but we can't steer. Dog down the hatch behind us. Yeah. Well, 
What next? All right, men. Huh? Captain Lundstrom's giving you one minute to give up quiet. In a pig's eye, Black. You'll hang for mutiny, every one of you. What do we do now? Quiet. They can hear everything on the intercom. Not if I cut the switch. <clears throat> Got to get through to the bridge. Well, it's a Mexican standoff. We can't get at them, they can't get at us. What's that? Air leak. The pressure's down. Fellas, fellas, fellas. What is what? it? Lundstrom, he blew the hatch in the mess hall section, just opened it up and let the air out. Oh, anybody caught? Al Haynes, he was cooking supper, dead as a doornail. Well, they can kill us all. They'll do it, too. All they've got to do is bleed off the air. They've got the atmosphere controls up there. I'll see all of you blacks swinging from a landing crane, I will, you scum. Morton, you know what blacks going to do? Bleed off the air down here. Oh, serve you all right. If I had my way, I'd see you all out in the yard till you froze stiff. You're forgetting something, Morton. You're back here with us. What do you mean? If Black and Lundstrom blow out compartments one by one or bleed the air off, you'll get it too. They'll take care of me. Don't you worry about that. You think so? Joey, plug that intercom back in. Yeah. Black! Black! Here we go. We've got Morton back here. Yeah? If you try anything on us, he'll get it, too. What am I supposed to do? Try? You don't care if he dies? Well, that's his problem. We're going to drop the oxygen level 5%. But you can't do that to me. Captain! Captain! It's unfortunate that you are captured, Martin. But the security of my ship comes first. You... You mean you don't care you'd see me dead? Precisely. But you can't. It's murder, that's what. I'm not one of them. You can't kill me. You can't. Joey, pull the intercom. You can't do it. I always followed orders. I did the dirty work and pull. He can't hear you anymore, Morton. You can't do this. Shut up. Morton, they kill you as soon as look at you. Now listen. We've got to get through to the bridge. You know this ship. There must be some way. We're your only chance, Morton. Get us through that hatch and up to the bridge. All right. All right, why shouldn't I? They'd kill me. And there is a way to get through? Emergency release. Works by hand. I don't tell crewmen about it to keep them from breaking through in an engine blast and leaking radiation to the bridge. Let's get going. We've got to get through before Lundstrom cuts the air down and gets us all. Here's the hatch, Morton. Where's the release? Under the floor panel. You can pry it up, Harry. I got it. She's up. Works on a key. Ready? Back against the walls. They've got the guns. Let them happen. I want to wrap my wrench around Black's neck. All right, Morton. Open it up. Here it goes. Look out! They had it fired. Morton! Morton! He's dead. Electrocuted. And the hatch is still closed. He didn't get to turn that key. It killed him instantly. Harry, have you got your watch gloves? They're insulated. Oh, sure, sure. They'll take any curves. Let's get Morton out of the way. Hey, don't touch him, Joey. He's got the current through. Yeah, I'll pull him away with the glove. All right, now stand by. Here goes the key. Let's go! Get him! Hold them both. You don't have to worry about Black. I got him square with a wrench. Anybody else hurt? I am. 
the cider. I think it just grazed me. We'd better tie Lundstrom up. What do you think you are going to do now? Turn around and go back home. <laughs> I don't think so. I have burned the navigation tapes. None of you can recalculate. Watch me. You'll just wander in space till the fuel gives out. You'll die right here on the ship. <laughs> Hey, come, Jeff. Uh, it's no use. I've had a little space math, but not enough to compute a flight. Sooner or later, you're going to beg me to let you surrender. Jeff! Jeff, the interceptor screens went off. Meteor? No, no, it was a ship. A patrol ship coming up on us. Hey, must have got off an SOS. Yeah. <laughs> no, we don't have to worry. We can just tell them the truth. Sure. You are not familiar with the space code, young man. Mutiny is punished by immediate execution on the ship itself. In other words, they don't ask questions, they shoot. He's right, Jeff. We're through. Can we get away? Not from a patrol ship. They've already sent us a heave to flash. If we run, they'll blow us out of space. I'm afraid your mutiny is over, gentlemen. Soon they'll be alongside with an airlock coupling. And ten minutes after that, you will all be dead. <laughs> Nobody move. Sergeant, take a squad and secure the ship. Collect all weapons and post a guard in the engine room. Yes, sir. You, Brown, Williams, Kentucky, Kelly. I'm delighted to see you, Major. I was not sure that an SOS had gotten through. Oh? You're Captain Lundstrom? That's right. I can swear out the affidavit of mutiny and... I don't think a mutiny charge will stand up, Lundstrom. Not with the relief of command warrant out for you. I think we'll just forget about it. You're under arrest, Captain. Oh, you can't do that. Space code is clear. You recorded my SOS. SOS? Of course. How else did you get here? They send us after you to get Jeff Coffin. Jeff Coffin. Where is Jeff he? Uh, Jeff I'm, I'm Jeff Coffin. We had a missing persons alarm for you, and then when a check you signed turned up at Marsport... A check? That's right. I gave one to Martin to, to help me get away. And he sold it to a fence for half face value. We traced it back to this ship. Coffin, I've got orders to escort you personally. We're taking you back to Earth, son. Major, uh, can I send out a message? Of course. Oh, that reminds me, I've got one for you, uh, from your fiance. Oh? She said to tell you that she didn't object to a bachelor party in principle, but uh, she did think six months was stretching it a bit. <laughs> <laughs> Competition, they say, is the life of trade. And it will be as true two centuries from now as it is today. You'll hear about it next week when we present... Dimension X. Today, Dimension X has transcribed Shanghai, an original story by Ernest Kenoy. Featured in the cast were John Sylvester as Jeff and William Griffiths as Morton. Your host was Norman Rose. Music by Bert Berman. Engineer Bill Chambers. Dimension X is produced by William Welch and directed by Edward King.
Three chimes mean good times on NBC. Tonight, it's the big show on NBC. Your stars will be Groucho Marx, Ezio Pinza, Jane Powell, Fanny Bryce, Frank Lovejoy, Meredith Wilson, and many, many more. Supervising the hour-and-a-half big show will be MC Tallulah Bankhead. Incidentally, when unpredictable Tallulah meets unconventional Groucho, look out. It's the big show every Sunday on NBC. Now the quiz kids, and later hear Tallulah and the big show on NBC. Stories of the high seas carry over into space, and that was the case with Shanghai Dimension X from November 12, 1950. Five years later, X-1 reused the script. Next, it's The Shadow, here on Skywave Audio Theater. The Shadow debuted on radio in 1930 as the mysterious narrator of Detective Story Hour, which was launched to stimulate sales of Street and Smith's pulp Detective Story magazine, and it worked so well that listeners began asking at newsstands for copies of That Shadow Detective magazine, Street and Smith did more than oblige. They hired Walter Gibson to come up with a storyline and a concept featuring the shadow for radio. And the shadow took off in 1937 when Orson Welles took on the role of the shadow. And when Welles left the show in 1938 to devote more time to the Mercury Theater and such things as War of the Worlds, William Johnstone became the shadow and had that role for five years. This episode is from about five or six weeks into Johnston's run. It's called Black Rock, and it comes to us from November 13th, 1938. Shadow, mysterious character who aids those in distress and helps the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the unseen voice belongs. The only one who knows the true identity of that master of other people's minds, the Shadow. Today's story, Black Rock. Okay, okay. 
Plane's all ready for a takeoff, Martin. And what a takeoff. <laughs> right straight to a watery grave. She only knew it. Listen, Ward, you better not let break it here. You're shooting off your mouth like that. Nah, I ain't scared of that swindler. He ain't got nothing on me. Oh, no, nothing at all, except that you're a pilot without a license who's been making his living flying smuggled dope. So what? Don't think I can't see what goes on. I know that Brick had swindled his stockholders out of a couple of million bucks. And now he's skipping in this plane. Well, what if he is? You're getting paid plenty, ain't you? Sure, sure. Oh, hello, Mr. Bacon. Is the plane ready to take off? Yeah. He's fueled to the limits. We'll fly 1,500 miles if necessary. The supplies are all loaded, too, boss. Well, you know our course. We're heading for Nova Scotia. Yeah. Mr. Burkett. Mr. Burkett. Harvey, what are you doing here? I followed you. Yes? Where are you going, Mr. Burkett? Well, what's that to you, Harvey? I happen to know that you're absconding with the company's funds. Now, see here, Harvey. Mr. Burkett, you can't do this. Think what will happen to me, to the stockholders, everyone. Harvey, I'm not running out on you. You don't know what you're saying. I do know what I'm saying. I know that in that suitcase you have $2 million of the company's funds. You made me president and I'm responsible for those funds. I'll be ruined. Ruined, do you hear? Now give me back that money. Let go of that bag, Harvey. Give it to me, I say. You're stealing the company's money. What? Martin, take care of him, will you? Give me Listen, that. Listen, punk, get out. I won't. I want that money. I want that money. Give it to him, Martin. <coughs> That'll stop that. Nice work, Martin. Throw him out of the plane. Right. Okay. Oh, all right. Well, let's get out of here. So you cleaned out your company, huh, Brickett? Robbed your poor, dear, trusting stockholders. You're not supposed to know about this, Ward. Oh, no? Not even the two million you got salted in that suitcase? You were hired to pilot this plane, and that's all. So get the plane off the ground. Okay. As long as I get my cut. Don't worry, Ward. You'll get yours. rolling in thicker every minute. Aye. What do you expect on the Grand Banks, mate? Hey, where do you reckon our position? About 200 miles due east of Cape Race, Captain. Breakage off the port bow, Captain! Breakage off the port bow! Breakage off the port bow? I cut the engine, mate. Aye, sir. What do you make it, lookout? These old vessels, Captain. Looks like the wing of an airplane. An airplane? Do you suppose it could be that plane that flew to sea four days ago, sir? Might be. There she is. Ease her off a bit. We'll drift down on it. Aye, Captain. Look, there's the plane's number on the wing, sir. Can you make it out? X-1752. X-1752. That's the plane, Captain. I remember the number. I heard the radio broadcast about her last night. So that's what happened to the poor devils. Lost their course and dropped into the sea. Look lively there, lad. Lend a hand and we'll haul that wing aboard. Aye, sir. Get a line ready, lad. Shall I get the dories over, Captain? Not in this fog. We'll cruise about. I have a notion we'll find no trace of the three poor devils that were aboard us. Poor devils? Rich devils, you mean, sir? Huh? Burkett stole two million dollars from the poor stockholders of the company. Aye. All the money in the world will do them no good in Davy Jones' locker. Aye. The rest of the plane is on the bottom of the bank. And them rascals in it. Aye, mate. Lost. Take my life on it. Lost forever. 
and two million dollars of poor people's money lost with them. Extra, extra, swindlers plane found in sea. Burkett and companions believed drowned. Paper, paper, police seek Frank Harvey, missing company president for questioning. Extra, extra. Do you mean that the poor man really had nothing to do with the money being stolen? Absolutely nothing, Margot. That's why we're driving down here. Frank Harvey is an honest man. He was set up as president of the company by Burkett. Harvey thought it was a legitimate investment house. Then why can't he tell that to the police? Because, unfortunately, that would never hold in a courtroom. As head of the firm, he's directly responsible to the people for their stolen money. Where did you say you'd meet him? He's hiding down by Miller's Creek. Is that right down this road? Yes. I think it's this third cottage here. Well, let's get out and see. All right, Lamont. Oh, there's someone in the window. He's waiting for us to come in. Yes, that's Harvey. We go in the side door. How long has he been hiding here? About a week, I believe. Mr. Cranston. Hello, Harvey. Uh, come in, please. Thank you. Now, this is Miss Lane, Mr. Harvey. How do you do? How do you do? I'm so glad you could come here, Mr. Cranston. I only hope I can be of service. Well, that's a pretty forlorn hope, I guess. What, with Burkett presumably at the bottom of the sea? Presumably, Mr. Harvey? Yes. You see, I can't make myself believe that he's dead. I'm inclined to agree with you on that. You are? Why, Lamont? Well, for one thing, Margot, their bodies were never found. Lamont, I don't like to be stubborn, but the Atlantic is a mighty big pond. Yes. But I also know that when Burkett planned his getaway, he wouldn't have figured on flying across the ocean in a plane with a cruising range of only 600 miles. They were flying to Canada and got off their course. Yes, that's true. No, Harvey. Ward, although crooked, was an excellent pilot. He was an expert navigator. He knew blind flying. Then, since you think they're alive, how did their plane crash 200 miles at sea? Fly itself? Fly itself? Marga, you've given me an idea. It's the only thing I haven't been able to figure out. Uh, what are the things you have figured out, Mr. Cranston? I'm afraid I can't tell you right now, but if they work, the missing money will be returned to the stockholders, and your name will be cleared, Mr. Harvey. What do you expect to find at the airport at this time of night, Lamont? I'd like to take a look around the hangar where Burkett kept this plane, Margot. Well, what can you learn there? I'm going to stake everything on a shot in the dark. There's no one in that hangar but the watchman. He doesn't know anything, or if he does, the police and the G-men didn't get it out of him. So how can you hope I'm to... I'm going to ask him one question, Margot. How could a ghost airplane fly 200 miles and crash into the sea? And do you expect an answer from him? Not I, but the shadow does. Look. Look through those windows. Yes. There's the watchman. He's asleep. I won't wake him, Margot. It'll be easier for the hypnotic powers of the shadow to force his subconscious mind to answer the question. I'll wait out here, Lamont. In a few minutes, we'll know if Burkett really went to his death in the wrecked plane. <laughs>
soundly, Jeff Carson. Alone mm. here in the empty hangar. Burkhead. Burkhead. That name troubles your sleep, doesn't it, Carson? No. No, Carson. You mustn't wake up from sleep. Let your subconscious mind hear me. I am Burkett. I am Burkett. You are remembering, recalling the things I paid you to forget. I paid you, didn't I, Carson? Yes, you paid me $1,000. Why? Why did I pay you? So I couldn't tell about the extra fuel tank. Yes, yes, keep remembering, Carson. The automatic pilot. Dream on. I won't tell anybody. I won't tell anybody about those long flights you took, Mr. Burkett. Where did I go on those trips, Carson? Well, hmm. Remember now. Hmm? Black Rock. Black Rock. No. No, I won't tell them. Why did I install an automatic pilot, Carson? Why? To fly. Black Rock. A thousand miles and land. And then Ward. Ward is to take the ship up and... Set the automatic pilot and bail out. So mm-hmm. that's it. A ghost plane flown by a robot pilot cruising seaward until his gas ran out. Yeah, yeah. Where yeah. is Black Rock, Carson? Yeah. Where is Black Rock? Black Rock. Black Rock is 25 miles off the coast. Wait. Wait. What am I saying? <laughs> Who's that? Who's that? No more roads. No rocks. No be getting near Black Rock, Lamont. Yes, Margot. I hope we reach it before it gets too dark to land the plane. We've come a long way since we left New York this morning. It's exactly 1,000 miles to Black Rock. And how far off the coast of Labrador? About 25 miles. Burkett certainly picked a secluded spot. Just a dot of an island on this map. Margot, hand me the glasses. I think I see land. Where, Lamont? Straight ahead. Yes, that's it, Margot. A loaf-shaped Black Rock. There's supposed to be a small cove to the landward side. How can this seaplane land with all this ice in the water? I've got to hope for enough open water, Margot. But Lamont, if Burkett and his gang are on Black Rock, they'll hear the plane. Can't be helped. If it's possible to land, I'm going ashore tonight. You want me to stay in the plane? Yes. You'd better keep this rifle, in case they try to board the plane while I'm ashore. Rock gets larger as we get nearer. How will you find them? They may hide until we go. The shadow will find them, Margot. There can't be many places to hide. I don't see a sign of life, not even a hut or a tent. According to explorers' reports, there are several large sea caves. They may be using one of those. There's the inlet on the landward side, Lamont. It's easily free of ice. Yes, I see it. Hold on, Margot. I'm going to try to land in that open water. Heaven help us if we hit any pack ice. Get out the life preservers, just in case. We'd freeze to death in that water. Steady. This is it. You made it, Lamont. You made it. Yes. And now the shadow must do the rest.
Down this path. Leads to the coal. Hurry up. Hold that lantern higher, will you? I can't see. All right. That's better. Hey, you sure you know where Brickett hit that boat? Yeah. It's in that little cave, right by the edge of the water. Keep that lantern up, will you? Want me to break my neck? Oh, if I hold it any higher, Brickett will see it. Well, let him see it. I'll kill him if he tries to keep us from getting off this blasted rock this yeah. time. Brickett will kill us if he catches us trying to get that plane in the cove. Hey, who do you suppose it is after us? What do we care? It's a plane, ain't it? Chance to get away from Brickett. Well, I ain't leaving without that money. Not after the way he starved us, kicked us around like dogs. All right, all right. We'll get the plane. Then we'll take care of Brickett. All right. Here's the cove. Look. I told you we'd find it, didn't I? Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Well, what are we waiting for? Come on, let's pull out to that plane. <laughs> oh, we got to get the... Shut up, Martin. Listen. I heard something like somebody laughing. Laughing at us. Ah, oh, you crazy. It's the wind. <laughs> oh. You hear that? Somebody's close to us, watching us. Get down. Maybe break it. I... I heard it, too. Put out the lantern, quick. I'm not Burkett. You cannot hide from me in the darkness. Some guy from that plane. All right, come on into the light and be quick about it, fella. Cover him with your gun, Martin. I can't see him. I'm standing in the light, close to you. But you cannot see me. What do you want? I've come for you. It's the cops, Ward. It's the cops. They found him. No, it's not the police, Mr. Martin. <laughs> then, then who are you? You've been in prison, both of you. Haven't you ever heard of the shadow? Shadow? Guy nobody's ever seen. Not, not the shadow. Not on this forsaken rock. The end of the world is not far enough to hide you from me. What? That voice. I've heard Khan talk about it. It's him. He's here. There's been a slip. He's come for us. Yeah? All right. Forgetting this is another thing. Now, don't come near me, Shadow. I'll drill you, even if I can't see you. I'll take you when the time comes. But first, I mean to get Burkett and the two million dollars he stole and clear the name of Frank Harvey. Well, you can have Burkett, but you'll never get that two million, Shadow. Not one of you will escape. How did you find us? That watchman squealed, didn't he? I warned Burkett. Come on, Ward. we got to find Burkett. He'll know what to do. Yes, go to Burkett. Warn him the Shadow is here. Tell him you'll never leave Black Rock alive. Never live to spend the fruits of your crime. <laughs> break it! Hey, break it! Break it! Are you here in the cave? What is the matter with you, Martin? Where have you been? Been around at the cove, watching that plane. Do you know who was in it? Yes, yes, of course I know. Just a girl. And she won't give us any trouble, I've seen to that. A girl? And he didn't come alone. I don't know what you fools are talking about. Who didn't come alone? The shadow. The shadow is on Black Rock. The shadow? Why, you're crazy. No. No, he's here. He said we'd never leave the island alive. Oh, how did the shadow know that we didn't perish for the plane? That watchman at the airport must have squealed. <laughs> so the shadow trailed us a thousand miles to this forsaken hideaway and played right into our hands. <laughs> What's so funny? What do you mean? Look over there. See who's gagged and tied to that cut. What? Look, he's got the girl. How did you do it? How did you get her out of the plane? I went out in the boat and I 
Merely gave her the choice of coming ashore or having the plane's pontoons riddled with bullets. But the shadow was on the rock here, looking yeah. for us. Well, let him find us. We'll give him the choice of giving himself up or seeing his girlfriend put in one of the lower sea caves until the tide comes in. Well, that'd be murder. Oh, that shouldn't bother you. You and Ward have been watching for a chance to murder me ever since we came to Black Rock. You know why, don't you? Because you've been starving us to death. For your own good, you fool. We've got seven months of winter ahead of us. If the food gives out before we can leave here next summer, we'll die by slow starvation. <laughs> that is just how you will die. Unless you tell me the hiding place of the $2 million, Burkett. The Shadow. He's here, in the sea cave. He followed us. Well, I'm glad you're here, Shadow. Well, we can settle this. I'll make a bargain with you. The Shadow doesn't bargain with criminals, Burkett. I've got the girl who came with you. There she is. Look at her. I'll give you two minutes to come out of the shadows and give yourself up. Give myself up to be murdered? Drowned in the lower sea caves? Oh, no, Burkett. You have no choice. We'll drown the girl. Burkett, listen to me. Would you have the murder of an innocent girl on your conscience in your last days and hours when you are slowly starving to death on this barren island? You can't scare us, Shadow. We've plenty of food. <laughs> you had plenty of food, Burkett. But look at it now. Look at the chests of food you have so carefully hoarded. Look at them. Burkett, look. Yeah. The locks are smashed. The chests have been opened. What? Burkett. Look, the flour, the dried meat, it's soaked. Soaked with our kerosene. Look, this chest is the same. We can't eat it. But what about the canned stuff? The canned stuff, he couldn't spoil that. Get away from those cases, Martin. No, you don't. You're not going to keep what's left for yourself. I'm taking the rest of this food, and I'm going to the mainland now. Put down that case, Martin. Put it down, I tell you. You ain't going to stop me to death, you crooked rat. All right, Martin, you won't stop to death now. You won't stop. Look, you didn't even give him a chance. You shot him in cold blood. You'll do the same to me if I let you. Don't be a fool, Ward. Put down that gun. Uh, now, listen, there's enough food for us, and I need you. I couldn't stay here alone. I'd go crazy. It's only food enough for one man, Burkett. And I'm going to be that man. No, you don't, Ward. Hey, you. you wing me. Wing me, you devil. Go on, finish the job. Finish me. Better than starving to death. I had enough for that. Ward. Ward. I only meant to scare you. <laughs> Ward is not dead, Burkett. Your bullet's in his shoulder. Shock, hunger, that's all. Now, what kind of a bargain would you make? I make no bargains with you, Shadow. Remember, I've still got the girl. No, Burkett. She's gone. Look on the cot. Her ropes are cut. She's gone. Gone? You, you've cut her loose. Yes, while you fought each other. If I could only see you... You'll I... never live to see another human face if you don't give yourself up. No. No, I've sacrificed everything for that two million dollars, and I'll never give it up. You've got to give it up, Burkett. Want to stay here starving, freezing to death for nothing? Now, tell me, where have you hidden the money? No, no. Tell me, I say. Where is the money you stole from the thousands of poor and trusting people you betrayed? Oh, you'll never get it. They'll never get it. Burkett, what you, Martin, you, but you don't seem to realize I have the power to make you obey me. Don't move, Burkett. That's me. Stare into space. Keep staring into the Shadows. No, no. Drop that gun, Burkett. Drop that gun. Your fingers can't hold it. Can't hold it. Drop that gun. 
Drop it. Now, where have you hidden the money? Under the chest. <laughs> You're a fool, Birkin. Like all criminals. You've told me what I want to know. Margo. Yes. Margo, take the ropes from the cot. Tie Birkin's hands behind him. He can't move. All right, Shadow. Hurry, Margo, hurry. Throw his hands behind his back and tie them. Margo, get out. Get back to the plane. Hurry, hurry. <laughs> no, no, Shadow. Shadow, don't. Don't leave me here to die. I'll give up the money. I'll go back and stand trial. Yes, Burkett, you'll give up the money that was never yours. You'll go back and stand trial, both you and Ward. I've wrecked your boats. You can't escape. And tomorrow, a Coast Guard cutter of the North Atlantic Ice Patrol will pick you up. They'll take you back to pay for your crimes. <laughs> I have the plane's radio tuned in on their regular band. They'll notify their shore base they're proceeding to Black Rock. Ice Patrol Cutter calling. There it is now. Hello, hello. Ice Patrol Cutter proceeding to Black Rock under force draft. Proceeding to Black Rock under force draft. They believe you, Lamont. They believe the shadow. Set your course homeward, Margot. Our job is finished. Oh, Lamont, think what it means. All those poor people will get their money back. They won't suffer. They won't lose their homes. And Mr. Harvey's name will be cleared. Yes, Margot. And this will be a warning to others that even the best laid plans of the smartest criminals can fail. There is no perfect crime. Today's program is based on a story copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. 
all the characters and all the places named are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. The Shadow Magazine is now on sale at your local newsstand. busiest actors, William Johnstone as the Shadow and Agnes Moorhead as the lovely Margot Lane. Johnstone played the Shadow from 1938 to 1943. The longest tenure with the role was Brett Morrison, who was the Shadow for a total of 10 years. Next week, Pat Novak for Hire and other adventures in sound. I'm Norman Gilliland, and I hope you can join me then for Skywave Audio Theatre.